renowned television series The Sopranos, has died suddenly at the age of 51. The American actor who played the mafia boss, Tony Soprano, is believed to have had a heart attack while on holiday in Italy. Here and an annual campaign's been launched warning people about the dangers of trespassing in quarries this summer. It follows the recent death of a boy and the man who was trying to rescue him from a lake in a disused quarry. Lee Agnew has the details. There are currently 34 working quarries across the three counties and operators say they regularly have problems with trespassers. Last summer, four teenage boys were drowned in quarries across the UK and quarry companies say youngsters don't understand the risk they're taking. As well as heavy machinery, quarries often have extremely cold and deep water, unexpected currents and pumps operating beneath the surface. Steep drops are often hidden by vegetation and there's a constant threat of falling rocks. The Milton Keynes-based Open University celebrates its 40th birthday today. Since the 70s, about 1.8 million people have graduated and the model of distance learning has been copied around the world. Streetlights left on in daytime in parts of Hertfordshire are wasting taxpayers' money. The leader of the Liberal Democrat group, Stephen Giles Medhurst, says residents' pleas for action appear to have been ignored. The county council's been arranging for several to be switched off, but a light was on yesterday afternoon outside the Horns pub in Watford. Bar manager Owen Greenshields hopes he can resolve the situation. I don't understand why that is on. Uh, I'm sure now I've noticed it, thanks to somebody pointing out, I'll make some inquiries with the council. It is probably a, a mixed function or something. But again, obviously I'll get onto council and see if they can sort it out. Turning to sport now, Milton Keynes Dons are being linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Scunthorpe, who were relegated from League One last season, have already rejected a bid from Championship Club Doncaster. Finally, the weather. We are going to see some showers heavy at times. Dry come this afternoon, though. Temperatures 22 degrees Celsius. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Norfolk's Tom Youngs has been... Thank you, Serena. Morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show today. I'm having trouble with my microphone. Stay there. Oh, there. That'll do. Lots coming up, including a driving instructor in Luton claims that lives are being put at risk because of poor driving standards from taxi drivers. Well, do you feel safe travelling in a taxi? In a county where the lights are turned off at night, it appears that parts of Hertfordshire are leaving their lights on in the daytime. Well, we'll speak to a councillor who says it's wasting taxpayers' money. Why can't they get the lights right? And 71% of women have told a survey that a potential date wouldn't stand a chance if he was under six foot. Well, if you're a short man, have you had trouble getting dates? And if you're a lady, would you date a tiny man? And by tiny, I mean, hmm, under five foot seven? Five foot seven, I think. This is coming from a six foot three man, so I think I can say that quite safely. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text as well. Why don't you? 81333. Start your text, 3CR. The best way to get in touch, though, is to give me a phone call. It'd be nice to have a chat, wouldn't it? 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now... Every now and then I'll jump in the back of a taxi because I'm in a strange town or I've just got to a train station or I'm feeling a little bit flush. 
and I'll get in a taxi. Most of them are excellent. Some are awful, though, aren't they? I've been in some, and it's been terrifying. Do you feel safe travelling in a taxi? Well, two driving instructors in Luton claim that lives are being put at risk because of poor driving standards from some taxi drivers. Paul Connolly has come to us with video evidence of what he says is appalling driving from drivers of private hire vehicles. He's calling for all taxi owners to take a driving standard agency test, something that's compulsory in other parts of the three counties. But we'll hear what he has to say after 7 o'clock this morning. But first, let's find out more from our taxi correspondent, Tara Gungafal, who joins me in the studio now. What evidence has he gathered, Tara? Well, this is all video evidence. He's put a little camera in the front of his car and he's been recording what he sees when he gets out and about on the roads. Now, his evidence shows examples of taxi drivers getting into the wrong lanes jutting out in front of the road without checking what's in front of them and some drivers exiting roundabouts without checking their mirrors as well. He's uploaded some of his videos onto YouTube. Um, I've seen a lot of this from other drivers as well, but they're not taxi drivers. They're not being paid to drive passengers around, are they? Absolutely. Um, The man himself is Paul. He's the chairman of Luton and District Driving Schools Association. You're going to be speaking to him later. He's also uh, a driving instructor himself, and he, along with other instructors, claim that lives are being put at risk because of what he describes as erratic, dangerous driving. And he has suggestions, doesn't he, as to what should be done? Yeah, absolutely. He says that all drivers who want to get a taxi license should have to pass a test known as the DSA test and that stands for driving standards agency test at the moment in other parts of the three counties they have to do it it is compulsory and they have to pass it but in Luton taxi drivers don't need to take it at all now Paul Connolly says that if taxi drivers were made to take this test before being granted a taxi license it would mean that driving and drivers would be safer on the roads making it less dangerous for everyone and I think that the reason we got this story is because Paul saw me having breakfast one day and came and said I've got a story for you which yeah. is by the way is, is, is a great way to get stories to us and he seemed to imply that the taxi drivers in Luton had voted not to have to sit this test that they, they were able to do it themselves which seems an odd thing we'll ask him that when he comes in but it seems an odd thing if that's true this DSA test what does it involve? I've got to say most people don't like exams That's right. well yes no I know <laughs> Um, well, it is similar to a, a standard driving test, although parts of it are aimed more at driving a taxi or a private hire vehicle than a normal car. Um, now, the assessment includes around 10 minutes of driving without being given turn-by-turn directions, so none of this left at the next junction, please, or stop when I bang my dashboard, that sort of stuff. Uh, it will also test the driver on stopping at the side of the road, which is obviously something taxi drivers have to do on a very regular basis. Yeah. And it will also test drivers on the highway code road markings and, you know, it'll ask them to perform an emergency stop that kind of thing that a regular test will do but just those additional extras as well now you pass the test if you make nine or fewer faults and this is uh this is less faults than you get with a standard driving test so you have to be better i suppose i suppose that's the the indication there um because for the standard driving test you're allowed to make 15 or fewer faults okay so there's less room for error with this dsa test um there are also specific questions that are more targeted at taxi drivers too okay now our reporter barry craffrey spoke to some taxi drivers parked up outside luton railway station to ask them what they think of a dsa test being made compulsory for drivers here we are favor of it but most of the people they're they not qualified here you know especially even, even some of the hackney drivers they're not qualified or even more even the private hire even they are worse you know and they don't know how to deal with the uh, customer they don't know how to approach them, you know, help them get out the the taxi and uh, put the luggage, you know, and speak to them and give them a proper information, you know. 
and what can be done to prevent those types of people? Well, I think I blame to the, the council. The, the council, the, the, especially in Luterbara council, they are uh, lovely private hire. They've got so many private hire in Luton. They've got no control. In terms of drivers then of taxis in Luton, mm-hmm. because they don't have to do this DSA test, do you think that if they were made to do it, that they would become better, safer drivers? Obviously, if, if it's towards the better driving effort and towards the better customer services, obviously it will help them out. We don't mind going toward this test, obviously, if you can help our skills-wise. If this DSA test was brought in, would you be in favour of it? Yes, I am in favour of it. Yes, yeah. And, and why would that be? Because at the moment, if you look at in Luton, the drivers, they don't know how to drive, they don't know how to talk to the customers, they don't know how to deal with the people. That's our reporter, Barry Caffrey, speaking to a dr- taxi driver outside Luton Railway Station. Well, we'll be hearing from Paul Conley, who brought this story to us uh, about his concerns after 7 o'clock this morning. He's going to come into the studio along with another driving instructor, uh, Les Donald. Well, what do you think? Should taxi drivers be made to take this more difficult test in order to be granted a licence? When you travel in a taxi, do you feel safe? I guess that's the question, isn't it? A a lot of taxi drivers, yes, I felt very comfortable, very safe with them. Some, though, you think, oh, my goodness. A friend of mine was in a car crash with a taxi driver, but he wasn't licensed or anything. And he said, right, if the police come, can you say you're my friend? Yeah, I know, I know. Isn't that naughty? And she went, "Okay." Do I get a free ride out of it? And she did. I know naughty. 08459 455 555. Do you feel safe in the back of a taxi? You can text as well. 81333. Start your text 3CR. I'll shut up because the kinks deserve respect. sunny afternoon and I can't sail my yacht he's taken everything I got all I've got this sunny afternoon So 
Kinks. As miserable and as grumpy and as awkward an interview as Ray Davis is, and he is, he's a tough interview. I interviewed him once, I may have told this story before, uh, and he wanted to talk about the new album, his new album. Don't want to talk about the Kinks, want to talk about the new album. Whatever you do, don't mention the Kinks to Mr. Davis. Oh, what, Ray Davis from the Kinks? Don't, don't mention the Kinks to Mr. Davis when he comes in. He's just keen to talk about the new album. Okay, right. It was an awkward interview, and then I mentioned that at the time I lived in Muswell Hill, which is where the Kinks are famously from. He went, all right, whereabouts? And I told him. He went, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw, there's a brilliant curry. Soon as we got the Muswell Hill out, he would talk about anything. He was eating out of the palm of my hand. The palm, the palm of my hand. Uh, and we talked about the kinks until the cows came home. Dear listener, 08459 four double five five double five. Do you feel safe travelling in the back of a taxi? Do give us a call if you've got stories of maybe slightly dodgy taxi work. Then pulling out a bit early, then being a little bit dodgy bodsky. Uh, We've all had it. We've all sat in the back of a cab and thought, oh my goodness, I don't think I'm going to make it alive. 08459 455 555 615. Oh, and that's Fontella Bass. We don't want that. We want Adam Glynn. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. All looking pretty decent out there on the roads. No accidents reported. All quiet. On the tubes in and out of London, we have problems. The Metropolitan Line has been suspended between Wembley Park and Aldgate because of a water leak at Baker Street. Your tickets will be taken on local buses and there's a good service on the rest of the line. So coming in from Chesham and Amersham down toward Wembley Park, trains are running fine. It's also disruption for Virgin train services if you're heading off toward the Midlands and toward Manchester this morning. Disruption between Manchester and Rugby because of a trespass incident at Stockport. That means there could be some late running trains coming down through Watford Junction down toward London. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Right, 6.16. It's, uh, is it Thursday the 20th of June? I believe it is. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure passengers' safety. James Gandolfini, who starred in the television series The Sopranos, has died suddenly at the age of 51. In sports, Milton Keynes Dons are being linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Coming up, find out what Lenny Henry, Matthew Kelly and Joan Armour Trading all have in common. It's not Shewees. 08459 four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer, across beds, hearts and bucks. On Friday afternoon, I'll be out of the studio for the grand reopening of the Higgins Bedford. Nick Coffer. I'll bring you a walk through all the exhibitions, dressing up as a Roman soldier and trying my hand at archaeology. Across beds, hearts and bucks. There'll be live performance, plus there might even be a spot of time travel. Nick Coffer. Live from the Higgins Bedford, Friday from midday. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh... Did Nick Coffer say there was going to be time travel on his show? That is mental. I am not in love 
But I'm open to persuasion East or west Where's the best For romancing With a friend I can smile But with a lover I could hold my head back Love a little bit of Joan Armour trading. Once more, you know that's what I like. Love, 
we go. Here we go. Here comes the end. Well, there you go, you see. There's a reason why we're playing a little bit of Joan Armour Trading, because she's very loosely linked to the next story. Joan Armour Trading, Matthew Kelly, Lenny Henry, Ian Rankin are all amongst the alumni. And today, the Milton Keynes-based Open University celebrates 40 years ago the first students graduating. Well, for many of us, our only experience of the OU was the television series on the BBC. Do you remember that in the 70s with the big beards and uh, the jumpers and them pointing at boards and strange graphics and things? Well, since then, about 1.8 million people have graduated and the model of distance learning has been copied around the world. Well, Dr David Rothery started as a PhD student there in 1978. He now works as a volcanologist and planetary scientist. Good morning, David. Morning, Ed. Your OU experience started in 1978 as a student, is that right? That's right. I, I was a conventional student at Cambridge University and I was looking for a PhD, which is what you do after your degree if you want to go on and be a scientist. And there was a PhD place offered at the Open University. I came across, was interviewed, uh, first, my first sight of Milton Keynes. And I got the position, so before I began my geology field work in Arabia, in the Oman, I was offered a week's work as a demonstrator on a geology summer school. So that was my first taste, a week with real OU students doing geology in the field. And it was brilliant, because they were so keen. Now, did you, sorry, did you say you went to Cambridge before? Yes. Was there not a little bit of um, snobbishness from your peers that you'd gone from, from Cambridge to, to the OU? Not really, because uh, the guy who was my supervisor, Professor Ian Gass, the founding professor of Earth Science at the OU, was very well known, and he was working on bits of ocean floor that had been thrust onto continents. He was one of the guys that recognised these things, called ophiolites, which are ocean floor that found their way onto land. And it was a very sexy kind of science at the time, so my geology peers were uh, quite impressed with a PhD place I'd got. I do like the fact that you've made ocean floors sound sexy, David. <laughs> Not many people could do that, and you've done it this morning. Thank you. It, it was quite an innovative concept, wasn't it? Distance learning. Uh, absolutely. Um, it, the idea was it was a chance for people who had never thought of going to university first time round. It gave them a chance later on in life to realise what they missed out on. And we were able to provide learning for people who had full-time careers or were bringing up children, which we still do, of course. And how does it work now? Because we do all, the, the, those of us of a certain age, remember those TV programmes from the late 70s, early 80s, two o'clock in the morning, big beards, big sweaters. Uh, I'm guessing it's all, is it all internet-based now? Uh, well, first of all, the TV stuff was a bit that the, the public saw. It was never the main method of delivering teaching by the university. Right. Uh, we always produced our own written course materials, which I used at Cambridge, because we found the OU written stuff uh, about the Isle of Skye or the Red Sea was really good stuff. So that was the main way students learned, plus face-to-face -face tutorials, plus residential schools, and the TV broadcast. We moved on from TV to doing it on video when people had their own video players, and now that kind of stuff gets delivered online. Mm. And we're moving perhaps rather too far away from providing people with actual books. Uh, and you lecture there now, David? Uh, yes, I mean, I did my three and a half years working as a PhD student. Then I managed to get some employment doing postdoctoral research at the Earth, still at the OU because we were developing ways to use satellites to look at the Earth for geological mapping. And uh, then I got a lectureship, and I'm still there. 
Uh, and you, you've worked on, people might recognise you from uh, the Sky at Night and other bits and pieces. What exciting things are you working on now, David? OK, well, I'm the lead scientist on the only British instrument that's flying to Mercury soon on the European Space Agency's mission called Bepi Colombo. It's yes. an X-ray spectrometer. My colleagues at Leicester University are designing and building it. I was brought into the project because I'm a planetary scientist. It's going to Mercury? It's going to go into orbit around the planet Mercury. How long will it take to get to Mercury? OK, it'll take about six years. We launch in 2016. Yep. Actually, we'll, we'll get into operation in 2023, so that's seven years. You um, get to Mercury very quickly if you don't want to stop when you get there. But you'll just whiz by it. You have to do some quite, quite a complicated trajectory to arrive there so slowly when you get there that you can be captured into orbit. So it's a six or seven year cruise to Mercury. And what are you hoping to find there? I've already got some inklings as a NASA mission, and not as sophisticated or as well equipped as ours, but brilliant, even so at the moment, called Messenger. It's found that the surface, it's a rocky body, bigger than our moon, smaller than the Earth, rocky body, no atmosphere, but... Um, the surface crust has got 2 to 4% of sulphur mixed in, which we don't understand. It shouldn't have that much sulphur so close to the sun where it was so hot when it formed. It's got areas on the surface that look moth-eaten, where the top layer is just dissipating away to space somehow. We don't understand that. It's got some ancient volcanoes. You can see big volcanic vents where explosions have occurred, vast areas flooded by lavas, other faults crossing the surface. It's an absolutely dynamic and exciting landscape, and we don't understand it. And will you get... Will, will you get sorry, I'm getting quite excited by your excitement about this. I love all of this stuff. Will we get pictures of Mercury? Or is, uh, it, is yes. it just reading the atmosphere and things? Uh, there's no atmosphere on Mercury, right. so we get very clear pictures. We, people want to look for this. Search for Messenger and Mercury on the internet. You'll get to NASA's Messenger website, and there are some superb pictures there showing the features I've described. We'll get higher resolution pictures of more of the surface. We can see the southern hemisphere very well when we get there. NASA's probed, I don't need the northern hemisphere really, really clearly. We've got thermal infrared cameras. We've got a much better X-ray imaging system as well. So we'll get more information with Bepi Colombo when we get there. One mission builds on the previous one. That's the way it works in planetary exploration. And finally, there was some, uh, some footage and some documents released uh, in the last couple of days that, that uh, 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 supposedly back up claims there is life out there. What do you think, David? Is there life out there? Uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to, but it's well known now that about half the stars in our galaxy have planets going round them. We've looked at enough stars in sufficient detail to find planets, and we realise half the stars have got planets. Now, a lot of those stars with planets, maybe only one in a hundred, that's still an enormous number, will have planets where it's possible for life to exist. Not too hot, not too cold, right size. So if you've got the right conditions for life on tens of millions of planets in the galaxy, um, is life going to start there? That's the unknown. I think probably if you've got the right conditions, life is going to start. But we can't prove that yet. But certainly conditions for life are all over the place. That's all I need to hear. Hey, listen, it's really nice to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on. You're welcome. There we go. It's Dr David uh, Rothery. Started as a PhD student. The reason we're talking about that, we went off on a slight tangent. Sorry, I hope you don't mind indulging me. I love that. Uh, he studied at the Open University, 40 years of the Open University. If you've got an OU story, 08459 455 555. If you want to talk about life and other planets as well, why not? Oh, why not? We can have some of that. I, I tell you what was exciting about that. Wasn't he passionate? Wasn't he passionate about it? You don't... 
it's so rarely these days you get people who are passionate about something and enjoy telling you about it. And David was well into it. Thank you, David. Right, here's Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Problems this morning, if you're going into London, the Metropolitan Line tube has been suspended from Wembley Park through to Aldgate because of a water leak at Baker Street. Tickets will be accepted on local buses. For the minute, there's a good service on the rest of the line, so if you are coming in from Amersham or Chesham, or indeed Uxbridge, down toward London, then the trains are running as far as Wembley Park. It's just from there into London that the problems start. Disruption as well on the rails, off for Virgin Trains toward Manchester. They've got cancellations and 40-minute delays because of a trespass incident at Stockport, and it's their trains between Rugby and Manchester Piccadilly. This means that you could have some late runners coming through Watford Junction and there could be definitely some disruption if you are heading up that way this morning. Roads so far today quiet. There haven't been any problems reported. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. 08459 555555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. But before that, let's get the news and sport with Serena Farrow. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure passengers' safety. They say some people of private hire vehicles are driving atrociously. A man's been taken to hospital after walking into a doctor's surgery in Luton with stab wounds. A man's been arrested in connection with the incident. James Gandolfini, who starred in the American television series The Sopranos, has died suddenly at the age of 51. And an annual campaign has been launched warning people about the dangers of trespassing in quarries this summer. That's the latest news. Now let's turn to all the morning sport. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, the British and Irish Lions have named their side for the first Test match against Australia, which takes place on Saturday in Brisbane. Saracens prop Mako Venilipola will start. Elsewhere, Milton Keynes Dons have been linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Scunthorpe, who were relegated from League One last season, have already rejected a bid from Championship club Doncaster. Manager Brian Laws believes that will now create interest in the 27-year-old. Well, there's a lot of... uh rumours and speculation about which clubs but I believe there's been interest from our inquiries from Barnsley from Sheffield United you've got Doncaster Brentford MK Dons there's quite a few out there who are really keen on the lad but uh, we obviously want to make sure that we get the best price for him for sure if, if he does leave the football club Centre-half Anthony Charles has become Luton's seventh signing of the summer. The 32-year-old who helped Barnet and Aldershot to the conference title back in 2005 and 2008 respectively has penned an initial one-year contract at Kenilworth Road. And Sri Lanka play India in the second semi-final of the Champions Trophy today with the winner facing England in Sunday's final. Yesterday, England reached their first final of a global 50-over tournament in nine years with a crushing seven-wicket win over the South Africa. Plays due to begin just after ten. BBC Three Counties Radio, more from me at seven. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Don't forget you can give us a call about any of the things we're talking about. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, how safe are you on your computer? Oh, we've got some shocking news about what those naughty hackers can get up to. We'll be talking as well about James Gandolfini, the Sopranos actor who died at the age of 51. And also we'll be discussing David Lloyd, the PCC for Hertfordshire, and his expenses. Now, a charity is warning people to cover their webcams to protect themselves from hackers spying on you using the camera on your own computer. I know 
you've got your little laptop or your Mac or something, you have a little kind of camera built in there, well, people could be watching you. And I only ever use uh, the uh, computer when I'm naked. It's just a thing I have. Childnet International is also advising teenagers not to keep computers in their bedrooms to cut the risk of it happening to them. Five Live has uncovered websites where hackers trade photos and videos of people who've been secretly filmed via their own webcams and a black market where access to compromised computers is sold for as little as a few pence. Well, this is all incredible stuff. Will Gardner is from Childnet International. Uh, uh, Morning, Will. I'm presuming that not everyone who has a webcam is having that service hacked into, are they? Good morning, Ian. No, and I think that's a really important message. You know, I think it's important for us to know that this is possible, but, you know, and we've only heard of a couple of cases, and I think it's, it's just because it's possible, you wouldn't want it to happen to you. I think it's important that we think about, well, how can we try and prevent that from happening? And there are a couple of things you can do, and it's, it's really about virus protection, just like the normal virus protection you would have for your for your computer, you know, it's, it's not a good idea to open attachments from people that you don't know or click on links uh, for, that you've been, been sent that you're not sure where they've come from because this is the opportunity to, to have that infection. But at the same time, I think it's important to, to think about, well, where are the webcams in your house? Um, and where, are they, where are they positioned? You know, and it, it could be a simple issue of good practice. So, you know, if you've got a, a, a laptop with a webcam, you know, we just close the laptop if you're if you're not using it is, is it possible to tell if it's happening my my uh, webcam on my laptop has a little blue light if if i'm using it would that always come on if there was a naughty person outside my computer using um, it that that's a good that's a good question and um i my my instinct would say probably yes it would but i couldn't tell you that right. 100 100 i mean the, the work the work that we're doing is really to we know that 28% of primary school children and over half of secondary school children are using webcams. And we've got some advice that links into this particular point. But there's a range of other bits of advice that we want to make sure that young people know so they're able to use webcams in, in a fun, safe and responsible way. Well, what, what, what is your advice then? Will? What well, things do you suggest? Well, we want, we want young people to think before they cam. Think about the type of stuff that they, they, are, they are doing on the webcam, but also the type of personal information that might be visible if they are coming with somebody who they're not sure who they are. Uh, we also know that people can record webcams, so it's important to to be aware of that and to, and hopefully let that influence the way that you behave online. We also know that young people sometimes get pressured to do things on webcam that they wouldn't um, they wouldn't otherwise do. And we want you know a very simple message for young people is you know you don't have to if someone's making you feel uncomfortable don't do it. And it's 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 important to just say no. That's an old cliche, but just say no because once you start doing things, then you make yourself particularly vulnerable for people then to manipulate you and threaten you to do more. There's an article in uh, one of today's newspapers uh, about a woman in her 20s whose webcam was hacked when she was in the bath. I don't know why she had a laptop in in the bathroom at the the time she was having a bath. But she says she didn't go to the police because she felt stupid. Uh, Computer crime is being taken more seriously, but there's more that could be done, isn't there? Absolutely, and we definitely encourage people to go and tell uh, tell the police. And if it's in relation to a, uh, a child, there's the Child Exploitation Online Protection Centre, that's CEOP, who, you know, they're, they're experts in, in dealing with sort of exploitation and abuse in this way, and, and they'd be the right people to contact. Is it, I've just been told a member of my team, Kelly Betts, uh, covers her webcam with a little bit of tissue when she's using the computer. Is, do, do we need to be that, that paranoid? 
Well, I think it's about being putting things into proportion. I think it depends, um, you know, how confident are you that you're you're protecting your your computers from viruses? Because that's really what we're talking about. It's a type of virus called a trojan. I think if you do have um, technology in your bedroom, then I think it is important to think about well. Is it worth just turning the webcam in a di different direction or closing a laptop lid or, 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 or doing something when you're not using it? I think it, it, can only, it can only help and be good practice. But just to stress, Will, as I'm, I'm always keen to on these things, this is a minority incident. We're not saying don't use the internet. Just maybe have a little question mark as you are, perhaps. I, I, exactly. This is, this is a very, very rare thing. But I think it's important that we just are aware that it, it can happen. And, you know, that hopefully that will get us thinking about where, where we have webcams in the house. Well, Gardner, thank you very much indeed from Childnet International. I remember the first time... The computers didn't used to come with webcams. Imagine that! Imagine that, youngsters! You had to go and buy a webcam, and it was a big clunky thing that you'd clip onto the top of the computer, or you'd balance on top of the, the, the monitor, and it would keep falling... Can you see me? It would keep falling... Can you see me? Is that... No, you've got... No, move it a bit. It's not in focus. Now, they come as part of the computers. I I'm, I'm suspicious of them. I am a slight Luddite, but I am very suspicious. 08459 455 555. Another thing I'm suspicious of is Starship. They used to be the Jefferson Airplane. Big psychedelic band, White Rabbits. Then they became this. Ah, uh -huh. Strange, isn't it, how these things happen?
Oh man, we lost two of the good ones yesterday. We we lost Slim Whitman. He was very old, Slim Whitman, the singer. We lost him, which is a great shame. Lucky bit of Slim. We also lost James Gandolfini. I couldn't believe it. This morning, I turned on my phone, looked at Twitter. The first thing I read was James Gandolfini dies. You'll know him, of course. He's been in loads of films. Probably more, most famous for um, being in The Sopranos. Died at the age of 51. It's no age, is it? It's believed he had a heart attack while on holiday in Italy. He won three Emmy Awards for the role of Tony Soprano and was praised for successfully contrasting the traits of a ruthless mafia boss with that of a warm family man. There she is. It's that little girl, but I forget her name. Gladys? Nita. <laughs> no, Murgatroyd. Nita. <laughs> ah. Oh. Daddy. Oh. Daddy's girl. Daddy's little girl. Well, tributes have been coming in following his death. Here's the BBC's Katie Watson from Washington. We've had some statements uh, from his managers. Um, they said that our hearts are shattered. We will miss him deeply. He and his family were part of our family for many years and we're all grieving. Uh, and HBO, which uh, aired The Sopranos, said we're all in shock. He was a special man, a great talent, but more importantly, a gentle and loving person who treated everyone, no matter their title or position, with equal respect. He will be deeply missed by all of us. So there's great shock in the TV industry here in the US. Well, Michael Goldstrom recently worked with James Gandolfini. He definitely left a huge mark on our um, our entertainment system here. He really transformed television and seeing someone like him on the screen made it uh, possible for a lot of people to see themselves. Hey, you know, it's not just slick-faced people up there, but, <laughs> but a, a real person. James Gandolfini, who's died at the age of uh, 51. It's no age, is it? It's 11 years for me. You don't know what's around the corner. No age at all. And I, I've got to mention Slim Whitman has died. Most of you are going, who? What? All the kids out there going, what? Sorry, who? Slim Whitman... Yo, singing legend Slim dies at age 90. That's kind of a, you, you know, that's kind of a more respectable age, perhaps. The yodelling American country legend Slim Whitman died, yes, at the age of 90. 120 million records he sold. Oh, yeah, One Direction, 1D. Look and learn. 120 million records. Toured with Elvis. He used to yodel. You see, that's what's missing from pop music these days, is the yodel. We don't get enough... What... Listen, one D, Coldplay, um, Jesse J, and uh, Backstreet Boys. If you want to make it big, just get a bit of yodelling into your records, for goodness' sakes. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting to slow up on the M25 with queuing traffic from Kings Langley at Junction 20 toward Chorleywood at Junction 18 for the 8404. Really, that's about it on the roads at the minute. Speed sensors aren't picking up any other problems and looking at the cameras across the three counties, I can't spy any other issues. On the trains and tubes, though, got problems for the Metropolitan Line in London. Services suspended Wembley Park through to Aldgate because of a water leak at Baker Street. This means that uh, no trains are running along that section at the moment. There is a good service, though, on the rest of the line, so trains are still coming in as far as Wembley Park from Amersham, Chesham and Uxbridge. Virgin trains run with disruption between Manchester, Piccadilly and Rugby because of a trespass incident at Stockport. If you're heading up toward Manchester or indeed toward the West Midlands this morning, you could be affected by this. Cancellations and delays of up to 40 minutes can be expected. Some services will be on diversion as well. It also means the potential for some late running trains coming down from Manchester toward London through Watford Junction 
Adam Glenn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, I'll cancel you by up to 40 minutes in a minute, Mr Glenn. Thank you, Adam. More from you in 15... Minutes... Right, 6.46, it's Thursday the 20th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Driving instructors claim passengers' lives are being put at risk because taxi owners uh, ex- uh, because of taxi owners' poor driving in Luton. Elsewhere in the town, a man has been taken to hospital after walking into a doctor's surgery in Mersey Place with stab wounds. In sport, Saracen's prop, Mako Vunipola, <laughs> has been included in the British and Irish Lions side for their first test. Coming up, we'll be discussing the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, David Lloyd. But before that, here's the weather with Wendy Hurrell. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. I'm going to be a storm chaser throughout the day today because it is all going to go pop. This humidity, this warmth, it is going to lead to some thunderstorms no. throughout the day today. No, it can't. Yeah. No. Why? No, because we're going to build dens in the garden today, Wendy. Well, you've we- got to build a really good den oh, then, haven't you? I've Make promised... Sure there's a tarpaulin I've promised the, the boys we're going to build dens. How exciting, though, to be in a den in the garden when there's a thunderstorm <sighs> raging around you. They'll never forget that. Yeah, you're right. Carry on. Thank you, Wendy. <laughs> Sorry. So, they're coming... <laughs> they're coming at us twofold. There's some that will move in from northern France. Currently, they're sort of residing over Paris, so they're a little bit further away from us currently. Uh, but they're going to work their way in. And as the afternoon goes on, we're also going to start making a few of our own. Now, they're not going to be for everyone. You might dodge them. But where they do turn up, there could be some really quite torrential rain, rumbles of thunder and lightning and all that sort of stuff, and uh, some local surface water flooding for a time anyway. So that's why the Met Office has us covered by a weather warning. But we start the day with some bright there will be some brightness throughout the afternoon as well, but just this risk of the showers cropping up. And temperatures should get to 20 or 21 degrees, so a little fresher than yesterday. As we go through the evening and overnight, we're still at risk of getting one or two of these showers. Temperatures will dip to about 14 degrees Celsius, but I think there will be some dry, fine weather overnight as well. And then into tomorrow, beginning rather cloudy, there will again be the risk of a shower, but nothing much more than that. Largely, it's going to be dry. And then throughout the later part of the afternoon and evening, I think there will be some sunshine. Temperatures also getting to about 18 or 19 degrees celsius and then for the weekend we'll be start saturday with a spell of rain and once that was is through it will be blustery showers and sunshine for the rest of the day with a high of just 17 degrees celsius and there will be blustery showers on sunday as well actually it's really going to be quite breezy and gusty throughout the day on saturday so it's all back to normal after this nice warm spell thank you very much wendy Supposed to be building dens in the garden all day. I'm not going to do it if there's thunder. We'll have to stay indoors and watch sea blooming BBs. Next week on the BBC. Starting to show the strange dream. Under immense pressure. Yell. Little scream right there. Those legs are getting heavy. It only hurts so much. This is a desperate last stand because they want it so bad. Wimbledon starts on Monday across the BBC. This person's called Philip Phillips. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, funny. Yeah. Hold on to me as we go. As we roll down this unfamiliar road. And although this way. Stringing us along 
Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your to impersonate a band and a singer then yes impersonate the singer from Delamitri why not I think I've played on Delamitri's drums on television I know I think it was Delamitri's drums my first ever television appearance kind of was I was in the audience of the Danny Baker show when he used to have his own TV show and I was a student and he went right who can play the drums and I went yeah that'll be me I couldn't play the drums. It's on YouTube. Type in Ian Lee, Danny Baker. We'll put it on the Facebook page, actually. And it's me trying to play the drums of the closing credits of the Danny Baker show. If you look very carefully, I whack myself in the eye. What an idiot. I do. We'll put it on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, if you're really bored. Now, tonight, the Hertfordshire Police and Crime Panel will meet to discuss a number of issues, including hospitality enjoyed by the Police and Crime Commissioner, David Lloyd. Well, I'm joined by our political correspondent, Paul Scoynes. Paul, what what exactly do we mean by hospitality? Well, Ian, this relates to several uh, sort of uh, meetings and uh, benefits, if you like, that the PCC has received and published on his website. So, uh, including several eye-catching events. So he went to a Watford versus Cardiff football match uh, on the 6th of April. He and his assistant went along. It was a nil-nil draw, by the way. Um, 
several dinners at some quite fancy restaurants actually uh, can uh, just go back to the football match he didn't 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 he get a, a vip box or something it was yes that's right yes an executive box yep. yes yes i think he was a guest of somebody right uh, and uh, yeah several nice restaurants luton who went there for for lunch um and uh, auberge du lac as well one of the uh, uh, nicer restaurants in hertfordshire and also he went uh, to the opening of the harry potter tour in watford as well i don't know what the uh, what the relevance of that to a pcc is perhaps defense against the dark arts yeah yeah and we already know uh, there's some questions that are going to be addressed by members of the public yes and a lot do relate to uh, to the process of the police and crime commissioner and uh, these roles of course introduced last november and uh, they they are statutory required to uh, publish some data on their websites uh, including the, the, what we've just seen the allowances expenses and the sort of hospitality that they've received um, but also uh, to respond to certain things and one of the uh, questions comes from a member of the public about the amount of time it took the office of the pcc to respond to an information uh, a freedom of information request as well so there's some points that have been raised about that but the, a lot do re- refer to process they're quite detailed in some areas but it will be interesting tonight to hear what the uh, what the police and crime panel which is the overwatch organization if you like the sort of backbench committee which looks after the pcc's sort of dealings uh, and what they they discuss the pcc won't be there tonight he has agreed that he wouldn't be that's that's been long known he has sent us a restatement saying that uh, he's keen to ensure that trans transparency in the way his office works is is there and and he says that it's important that the police and crime panel scrutinize this role he'll be very happy to answer questions that are raised uh, by the panel at a future date so we will uh, we will know a bit later potentially at, a, at another point what his reaction is to these comments and he's also looking at recruiting a deputy Yes, that's right. You might remember back, uh, well, it was only a few months after the role had been created that he uh, he gave the job of Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner to uh, the, the woman who ended up coming second to him in the uh, in the run-up for the uh, Conservative ticket, uh, Rachel Frosch, Dr Rachel Frosch, and she had to, um, she had to step down after uh, a, a sort of an unfortunate tweet where she likened socialists to Nazis and sort of remembered that uh, the, the, the Nazis were originally sort of socialists and that caused a rather uh, kerfuffle and she then was f- felt it was uh, appropriate to step down from the role and she's been without a, a deputy since then but uh, he has notified the um, the panel that he wants to start the process of reappointing a deputy uh, the job description's been published which it wasn't before so we can now sort of see what the uh, the role is in a bit more detail and we expect an appointment to follow in august some of the uh, the key responsibilities involved uh, potentially taking on the role of PCC if anything happens to him to uh, engage and influence political stakeholders as well and also to brief the Commissioner on emerging issues so we will look to see a bit more about that in depth tonight. He, um, uh, David Lloyd has told us that uh, in terms of the, the expenses he said that uh, these events uh, were important in supporting the delivery of an ambitious, expansive police and crime plan and he expressly seeked the input of the business community. It is interesting as well in that he does publish those facts on the website. Some of the other commissioners in our area don't. Um, uh, Thames Valley Police don't, or Thames Valley Police and Crime Commissioner actually Stansfield doesn't have that information uh, freely available that I could find anyway. And uh, it was only published on the Beds Police and Crime Commissioner website under a freedom of information request. It wasn't a specific link. So. Any progress on, on Mr Stansfield coming onto the radio to talk to people? 
He keeps turning um, us down, doesn't he? Yes. I have to say, it's, it's been a while since I tried. I shall, um, I shall put in another call to his office. Yep. Certainly, we, we, did, we did ask around the time that he was, uh, he was pressed by his own police and crime uh, panel about his expenses. And just looking at those, I can, I've got them here. I mean, just to give a bit of... You've got um, 20 seconds. OK, well, Ollie Martins, between the, the, who's the Bedfordshire PCC, between November and March, claimed £153. Um, if I'm just looking to Stansfeld's uh, claims in, in March alone this year, there were over 600 as well, wow. though he has moved his office recently. We need to get him on, Paul. Could you, could you put a little call in today? I will do that. Yes. Thank you very much. Paul Scoyne's there. We do need to get Mr Stansfeld on. There's a few questions I would love to ask him. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. On the M25 clockwise, two lanes are closed. There's heavy traffic. It's because of a lorry fire between Chorleywood at Junction 18 and Watford at Junction 19. Lanes 2, 1 and 2 are currently closed off. The lorry is on the hard shoulder. The fire brigade are still putting out the fire through there. On the anti-clockwise side, it's starting to slow up through the roadworks, Waltham Abbey to Enfield, and there are also queues from Kings Langley toward Chorleywood going past the scene of that fire, but on the other carriageway, of course. Metropolitan Line Tube, service has been suspended. Wembley Park to Aldgate because of a water leak at Baker Street. Your tickets will be taken on local buses. There's a good service on the rest of the Metropolitan Line. No other tube problems this morning. And for Virgin Trains, it's disruption. Manchester Piccadilly to Rugby because of a trespass incident at Stockport. So if you're heading off that way this morning... Expect some late-running trains, and there could well be some late-runners coming down from Manchester through toward London. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. In the next hour. How safe do you feel when you get into a taxi? Have you seen some pretty poor driving? If you have, give me a call. 08459 455 555. Here's Serena with the news. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. at 7 o'clock. The headlines. Poor driving in Luton puts lives at risk. Another stabbing in Bedfordshire and Sopranos star dies. BBC Three Counties Radio. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure passengers' safety. Paul Connolly has come to us with video evidence of what he says is appalling driving from those of private hire vehicles. He's calling for all taxi owners to take a driving standard agency test. Also, this taxi driver agrees that something needs to be done. But most of the people, they're they not qualified here. You know, especially even, even some of the hackney drivers, they're not qualified. At the moment, if you look at in Luton, the drivers, they don't know how to drive. They don't know how to talk to the customers. They don't know how to deal with the people. Well, Paul Connolly himself will be speaking to Ian Lee here on BBC Three Counties Radio straight after this bulletin. In other news this morning, a man's been taken to hospital after walking into a doctor's surgery in Luton with stab wounds. The 59-year-old, who was stabbed in Mersey Place, was treated at a surgery on Liverpool Road before being taken to hospital at around quarter past three yesterday afternoon. A man's now been arrested in connection with the incident. James Gandolfini, who starred in the American television series The Sopranos, has died suddenly at the age of 51. The American actor who played the mafia boss Tony Soprano is believed to have had a heart attack while on holiday in Italy. Now more than £2.5 million is being spent on derelict properties in Buckinghamshire and Hertfordshire. 
The properties have been identified as locations for antisocial behaviour and crime. Our political reporter Paul Scoynes has more. The money, part of a national scheme, will be spent by housing associations to improve empty homes often used by squatters, which give an area a rundown appearance. The High Town Praetorian and Churches Housing Association gets over £1.5 million to spend on 60 properties in Aylesbury Vale and Broxbourne. Luton and Decorum housing groups will share a million pounds to improve just under 40 dwellings. The health regulator for England, the Care Quality Commission, is to reconsider its decision not to publish the names of former senior managers accused of a cover-up at the organisation. It's alleged the bosses suppressed the negative findings of an internal review. Now, streetlights left on in daytime in parts of Hertfordshire are wasting taxpayers' money. The leader of the Lib Dem group, Stephen Giles Medhurst, says residents' pleas for action appear to have been ignored, while the county council's been arranging for the lights to be switched off, with these local residents baffled. I don't see why they can't switch them off. They must have that technology. I don't understand what they're doing. Oh, it sounds incompetent. It's a waste of money, unless there's no point unless there's a, a need in terms of safety. It must just neglect to turn them off, it's staff. It's just consumed energy isn't it to no effect perhaps haven't got the resources to turn it off and they'd you know it's just one of those things turning to sport and the british and irish lions have named their side for the first test match against australia which takes place on saturday saracen's prop maco vinipola will also start in that team showers then for the rest of this morning although becoming dry this afternoon temperatures reaching 22 degrees celsius get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past seven. It's Thursday. Apparently it's going to be miserable weather today. Nice one. Thanks for that. Oh, yes, cheers. That'll be lovely. The day I'm supposed to be building dens in the back garden with my boys. Never mind. Coming up between now and eight o'clock, do you feel safe travelling in a taxi? Well, a driving instructor in Luton claims lives are being put at risk because of poor driving standards from some taxi drivers. We'll be speaking to him in a little bit. In a county where the lights are turned off at night, it appears that parts of Hertfordshire are leaving their lights on in the daytime. We'll speak to the councillor who says it's wasting taxpayers' money. And 71% of women have told a survey that a potential date wouldn't stand a chance if he was under six foot tall. Well, if you're a short man, do you struggle to get dates? And if you're a woman, are you interested in tiny men at all? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Taxis and how safe do you feel in the back of a minicab? Well, a driving instructor in Luton claims lives are being put at risk because of poor driving standards from some taxi drivers. Paul Connolly has come to us with video evidence of what he says is appalling driving from private hire vehicles. He's calling for all taxi owners to take a driving standard agency test, something that's compulsory in other parts of the three counties. Well, Paul, who is also chairman of the Luton and Districts Driving School Association, joins me in the studio now, along with another driving instructor, Les Donald. Good morning to both of you. Uh, Paul, can you give me some examples of some of the unsafe driving that you've, you've spotted from taxi drivers? Yeah, basically, um, I, 
the driving instructor as you know and while I've been out there driving um, they tend to sort of pull out in front of us they overtake us on the road and then pull in front because there's cars coming towards us and stuff like that um, the video evidence that we've got is the one on the roundabout where the taxi driver blatantly gets into the wrong lane and then forces us across the road onto the other side of the road so if there was a car that was coming up to turn right off of the roundabout we'd have crashed into the side of him uh, or that that vehicle basically uh, and i mean we kind of see bad driving with with regular drivers on the road but i guess we do expect a little bit more don't we paul from people that that are professional drivers and are being paid to carry us around well that's right it's um, basically they're a passenger service vehicle if you think of it in that way and you wouldn't get a bus driver that would um, get in a bus without taking the proper license to actually be able to drive it and in other parts of the county it's mandatory that they do it through the council and we'd like to know why Luton Borough Council haven't brought it in here to make our roads safer so sorry in, in the rest of the county uh, the taxi drivers have to take this exam but they don't have to in Luton that's as far as we're led to believe so if you do if you're a taxi driver in Dunstable you've, you've got to take it over there and if you're in St Albans you've got to take it over there but in Luton we don't actually enforce it in Luton and we don't know why have they given you any reason as to why that's the case that seems very odd doesn't it that, that Luton which is is such a busy town uh doesn't enforce this um, I spoke to someone in the council about the video that I'd actually filmed while it was in my car um, and I emailed a, a clip over to him which I'm still waiting on a response from them um, and they said that it was actually voted out now he, he wouldn't actually go any further on where it was voted out from whether it was the council that didn't actually vote for it or it was the taxi drivers or the general public so what I've asked three counties to do is maybe open this up to find out who's actually voted this out if it's the general public then it's the general public that are using the taxis or is it actually the council that have voted it out or the taxi drivers themselves um at the end of the day my family use taxis driving around in the town themselves and i want to know that they're safe while they're being transported backwards and forwards les is it too easy to get a taxi license in luton do you think well, it's very easy just come a little bit closer to them Mike, all, all you actually need is to have a, a license for 12 months um do the knowledge test and have a crb check that's all that's needed mm. Um, if you think about it, the, the learner driver test is only a, a basic test of driving competence. But we've got no experience with it. And it takes at least two years before you can say you're anywhere near competent. People are more likely to have an accident within 18 months to two years of first driving a, pass, a driving test. What is? Explain briefly what this DSA test involves. Well, the DSA test is basically exactly the same as the, um, the learner driver test but you're only allowed to make nine minor mistakes rather than 15 on the learner driver test. Um, there's two types of tests for a taxi driver. One is the enhanced one, which also involves um, putting a wheelchair into a taxi mm. and securing it, locking the wheels and securing the, it properly. Um, a lot of them have failed it because they use ramps to put the wheelchair in and they don't bother to secure the ramps so the wheelchair actually topples over the side. This is what's been happening in the past. And this has happened in Luton? This happens in Luton, right. yes. Paul, the cynical might say that if the DSA test was introduced, you might get more business as your driving instructors. That's true, yeah, we probably would get more business um, for it because um, my company itself actually do uh, taxi training, but that's not why we're doing this. It's to make Luton a safer place um, to, to 
drive basically um, apparently the, the stats have just been re- released from the DSA that um, Luton's got the second in the country for zero faults in, in tests in in, uh, in the whole of the, the country um, so Leon, uh, people going through and actually passing their driving tests are coming out with zero faults in it so we're trying to get the the, the whole of Luton to be a safer place to drive through it um, LADSA themselves we actually work in hand with the emergency services and they're actually backing us up with this you know we, we do regular meetings with the, the police and the fire brigade um, which is what Les heads up for LADSA um, and they're actually backing us on this to get it a safer place to drive through and you genuinely think that lives are at risk here um, if if you look at the video evidence you would see if it wasn't for my quick reactions and moving the steering wheel while the learner was actually in the car then that could have been a, a fatal accident mm. if that would have been a, a, a novice driver that had recently passed a driving test they they might not have actually had the same control on the car as what I had on it and if there had been someone on the right hand side of us turning right off of the roundabout that definitely would have resulted in an accident that day Okay chaps put your headphones on because we, we're joined now by uh, Ashley Bateman who is Assistant Chief Driving Examiner with the Driving Standards Agency Morning Ashley now we've heard that in this DSA test, you you have there's a lower threshold, so you have you can get nine fails as opposed to to fifteen. Is it an easy test, Ashley? Um, well, it's similar to the uh, standard driving test, but as you've already said, you're only allowed to have nine driving faults. If you get more than nine driving faults, you wouldn't be successful. So therefore, to to be successful, you have to demonstrate that you understand and can demonstrate the same safe principles of driving. And what are the benefits of having it? Well, at the time of the test, when the, if the person is successful, they have demonstrated um, that they can drive safely, so there's a road safety benefit in that way. And by taking this test, Ashley, is it making taxi drivers better and safer? Um, there's no statistics to cover that, but um, you know, it, it would suggest that it is a road safety initiative because um, you know, if somebody's passed the test, they have demonstrated that they're safe on the road. And this test, it, it's... Luton isn't the only place where it's not compulsory, is it? Um, I don't know the exact places. There's, there's over 140 authorities in the country that, that do the test, but it is voluntary. Um, we have no authorities to uh, make sure, that, you know, to, to compulsory uh, tests. Ashley, are you surprised it's voluntary? You would think that, that it's something like taxis, where you members of the public are literally putting their lives in someone's hands, you would think that, that councils would want to do as much as they can to ensure its safety. Well, you can go on the uh, individual council's websites and they have, you know, they have their own way to do it. Some do employ driving instructors and, uh, to assess drivers, so they all have their own way of doing it. And some, you know, over 140 do uh, take the DSA route. Uh, Ashley, I appreciate your time uh, this morning. That's uh, Ashley Bateman, Assistant Chief Driving Examiner with the Driving Standards Agency. So, Paul, what what do you want to see happen? Well, I'd like to see the council getting more involved in it and... um pushing this through to see uh, get this test put through uh, I know that there are a few really good taxi drivers out there I know there's one company in particular that have put all their drivers through a BTEC program which is very good um, that's a totally voluntary program that they've done off their own back um, I've actually spoken to the guy that owns the business himself you know and, and he says that he does re- regular license checks on the drivers and that as well um, if you look at it from a fleet point of view that's what you would be you would be expected you know and the corporate manslaughter law came in you know the taxi drivers are self-employed and everything but they still have a duty of care on the road they're self-employed themselves so they need to be looking at it and making the road safer basically it would it improve their driving cut down on their fuel cut down on the environmental issues and everything if they took these courses and done something about it
Chaps, listen, I appreciate coming in. Paul and Les, thank you very much uh, indeed. Uh, We're going to be getting calls this morning on people on their taxi driving stories. So thank you very much. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the phone number. What do you think? Have you been in a taxi in Luton? You've had, uh, we've all had dodgy experiences in cabs, haven't we? Where you think, oh my goodness gracious, I can't believe he's doing that. I can't wait to get out. Give me a call with your stories now. 08459 455 555. You can give me a text as well. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Put your name on, please. Makes it a little bit more personable uh, if you do that. What, what, what stories have you got about being in the back of a cab? Or driving along and seeing a cab and thinking, oh, for goodness sakes, really? The thing that, um, that gets me is, well, and I've had this before, you get into a cab, you say, can I get to, take me to the high street? Yeah, sure. Um, what, what's, what's the best route? I don't know, you're, you're, you're the cab driver. You, you drive me the best route. What way do you normally go? Never done this journey before. Oh, so you don't know how to get there? No. Let me just get the sat-nav out. Oh, for goodness sakes, you don't know where you're going? That's the thing that gets me. 08459 455 555. Rudeness as well. Rudeness from cab drivers. What's that all about? I've had cab drivers be rude to me. I've had cab drivers on the telephone. And not just on a hands-free, actually holding the telephone. I had a cab driver stop and and fill up with petrol once. Don't fill up with petrol. To get my own back, he had uh, one of those CB radios, so I pretend I was using his CB radio and being a, a little bit of an idiot. Your cab stories, good and bad, 08459 455 555. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 southbound is looking slow. There was an accident a little earlier this morning with a lorry and a car involved at Junction 13 for Bedford. All the vehicles involved are on the hard shoulder. This was originally on the entry slip, but they've been moved onto the hard shoulder, so traffic is moving, but slowly past there. Clockwise M25, there's one lane closed now, queuing traffic still because of a lorry fire between Chorleywood and Watford, junctions 18 and 19. The lorry is now extinguished, and it's on the hard shoulder, but lane one past it remains closed. Anti-clockwise is queuing from the M1 to Chorleywood as well, and it's looking slow as you come into London on the A1 through Boreham Wood from the Holiday Inn Junction down to Mill Hill. Tubes, the Metropolitan Line remains suspended. It's suspended at the moment Finchley Road through to Aldgate with severe delays between Wembley Park and Finchley Road. It's because of a water leak at Baker Street. Your tickets will be taken on local buses and they'll also be taken on Chiltern Railway services now. And Virgin Trains disrupted between Manchester Piccadilly and Rugby because of a trespass incident at Stockport. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 7.16... It's Thursday the 20th of June, I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure passengers' safety. Elsewhere in the town, a man has been arrested in connection with a stabbing yesterday. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons are being linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Coming up, lights, daytime, Hertfordshire, left on. Oh. BBC Three Counties Radio.
Every weekday morning, questions are asked. What should the government do next to stop people smoking? Who do you blame for our failing high streets? Opinions are formed. There is no place in a civilised society for people like that. They should get real. Part of me says it is wrong. And you get to have your say. I think the whole thing is absolute garbage, frankly. Join in with the big phone-in from Nine. Not everyone will agree. What an interesting conversation. The JVS Show, weekday mornings from Nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Streetlights left on in daytime in parts of Hertfordshire are wasting your money, claims a county councillor. And the leader of the Liberal Democrat, Stephen Giles Medhurst, says residents' pleas for action appear to have been ignored. Well, our reporter Ewan Duncan found a streetlight on outside the Horns pub in Watford yesterday afternoon and asked passers-by for their reaction. Well, it's very wasteful, yeah. I think it's it's irresponsible. Do you notice it much locally? I try not to notice it if, you know, because it, you know you're paying for it. Maybe they could have somebody go out and patrol you know, and do something about it. Somebody must be responsible ultimately for that sort of thing. I think it's a waste of energy and uh, should be switched off by timer or however they do it. And the councils are trying to save money by switching them off at night, so it's rather ironic if at the moment they're being left on in some places. You do see some lights on, certainly, and usually it's a single one rather than a row. But it's just a waste, isn't it, when we're all trying to save energy as well. I'd rather they were on at night, because if you're coming back from somewhere in the middle of the night and driving up the car, up the road, you can't see anyone if they suddenly come out quick. and There's a high risk of hitting someone. It's not even going to be your fault. It's one of those things, isn't it? There was a big hoo-ha, a brouhaha, about people, uh, uh, the councils turning the lights off at night time to save a bit of money. So you've got pitch black streets. Well, you say pitch black. There's, you know, mm. um, but they're leaving some of them on in the daytime. Well, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? And I do, I, in the great scheme of things, you know, hey, Syria. But, but it's one of those things that does wind me up. We're making cuts everywhere. We'll turn the lights off in the daytime. How difficult can that be? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, we can speak to Stephen Giles Medhurst, the leader of the Lib Dems on the Hartford, uh, on Hertfordshire County Council. Morning, Stephen. When were you first made aware that lights were being left on during the day? Well, there's always been problems with that occurring uh, across the county, but in terms of the main A roads, I I reported a number of these about four months ago, and as they still hadn't been rectified, I've been chasing officers ever since, and last Friday they finally admitted that they hadn't got a system in place for A and B roads, in that uh, the contractor wasn't dealing with what is known as day burners, and even worse, the faults that had been reported had been ignored. So, sorry, they're ignoring reports of well, faults. They're, they're not now, but right. they certainly were, and I've got that in writing for the head of highways. They basically it dropped off their systems. They hadn't got systems in place. Faults that I'd reported, faults that other residents had reported, and other councils reported on the main A roads had been lost. Well, that's that's uh, incredible. What areas of Hertfordshire are we talking about, Stephen? Well, across the whole of the county. It's not a huge number. They've now admitted there's a, a, at least 260 lights being left on on the main roads, this is the main A and B roads, all day long, which they have yet to rectify. Is, is this an embarrassment as far as the council are concerned? Well, I think it is. They've got a new contractor in place from October. One of the contractual requirements was to fix what is known as Day Burners, i.e. streetlights, on all day long. 
Uh, Stephen, stay there for a second. I just want to bring in our reporter, Justin Dealey, who lives in Hertfordshire. And I know we're talking about lights being left on during the day. That's right. But, Justin, you, you, you're aware of, of lights being turned off at night, aren't you? Absolutely. And I have to say, I mean, this is just a personal view, but, but I don't like it one bit. I'll give you a very brief example. On Saturday, I was in Hemel Hempstead. I was walking from the Marchmont Arms pub into the Old Town. And when we were walking towards the Old Town, it was pitch black. You could not see anything. In actual fact, we almost crashed into a couple. And the only reason we didn't is because we heard voices. And again, some people say, well, take a torch with you. Well, you're not always going to be taking a torch with you when you're going to your local pub. But, but I find the whole thing pretty dangerous. I'm in St Albans today. The streetlights, like the whole of Hertfordshire, have been turned off for, for quite a while at night. And I've been asking people how it's affected their lives. So you live in St Albans. Um, what's it like having no streetlights either late at night or, or early in the morning? Well, for me, early in the morning, as I sat at my window clean, after about to fill my buckets up, and I can't see anything. And, and it's quite a bit naughty sometimes, so, you know, I think it's well out of order for me. It's all right in the summer when it's light, but in the winter, I can't see a thing. It's pitch black. And do you feel like it almost invites people to, to come out and potentially rob others? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. People who are in that sort of thing, like, you know, it's, it's, it's inviting them, isn't it? Coralie, again, you're local. You live in St Albans. Uh, since the lights have been turned off, um, what's your life been like? How's it affected you? Um, it just basically means if you come back late from a late meeting or you go out with friends after work, if you leave any time after 10 in London, you have to walk home in complete darkness. It means you're falling over broken pavements, walking into bins. It's just a bit silly. So you've actually walked into bins and you haven't yeah. been drunk? No, I don't drink. <laughs> right, OK. Yeah. So in an ideal world, you'd want them switched back on? Yeah, that would be great. It would save me a lot of money in taxis. So, Stephen, it seems like we're getting it wrong, doesn't it? On both counts, we're leaving some lights on in the day and we're perhaps turning the wrong lights off at night time. I, I totally agree with you, uh, and the Liberal Democrats and myself have vigorously opposed the policy of turning the lights off at night. We proposed extra money into the budget this year in February, which have turned uh, at least one third of those lights back on. Now, residents are saying to me, fine, we understand the reason to, to save money, but don't turn every single light off in a residential road. Turn alternate lights off, so at least there is some light the, at night. The, the, ladies and, and gentlemen, the voice of reason. Stephen, this is what yeah. I've been saying for, I've been saying this for years. The, the way to save money uh, on, in towns and villages and on motorways, you leave every third light on. So yeah. you, two off, one on. Yeah. And indeed, you know, what's equally even sillier is that some of the main roads, um, Waterfields Way, for instance, in Watford, it's a main dual carriageway, there is no pedestrian pavement on either side of it the lights are all night long cars have headlights pedestrians do not have torches with them and it is a, yeah, it's a ridiculous suggestion to say hey come on take some torches out uh, but justin you you actually got quite angry this morning about this whole thing didn't you yeah it does annoy me because you know as, as a local council taxpayer in hertfordshire if i'm being told that we are turning the streets like street lights off at, at night and, and early in the morning to save money and then you're hearing reports that they're being left on during the day when people don't need them that annoys me i know so many people that that are angry about this because i think a lot of it is is, is perception as well. If those lights are off, automatically, I think a lot of people feel that they're not safe walking the streets of Harpershire. And it'll be interesting this morning to hear from people like that lady who have fallen over bins, who have fallen over pavements, who have injured themselves, uh, walking home late at night because the street lights have been turned on to supposedly save money, even though some of them, of course, are turned on during the day. Justin, thank you very much, and thanks as well to Stephen Giles Medhurst, leader of the Lib Dems on Hertfordshire County Council. If you want to give us a call on that 08459 four
555 is the telephone number. Now, there's a story in uh, one of the newspapers, well, it's in a few of the newspapers today, that, well, women don't like short men. They're kind of turned off by short men. I'm a strapping six six foot three lad. I always thought I was six foot four. Until I went for a medical a couple of years ago, they went, you're six, just under six foot three. I went, excuse me, just under six foot three? I don't think so. Well, what do you think? If you're a gentleman of um, restricted height, and I'm going to say five foot eight and under is short for a man, do you struggle to get dates? And if you're a woman, do you, uh, do you look for men over a certain height? We're joined now by Lisa Moore, who is the owner of an introduction agency called Tempting Fate. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Ian. Is your, now, your agency, is it online where people can tick a little box of, no. of the height? No, no, we interview everybody. We do Ooh. have a website, of course, but then we do um, interview people before we can take anybody on. And do you allow short men on your books? <laughs> It's not a question of allowing, it's a question of what we have at the time. I mean, most of our females are over 5'7", although, having said that, we have broken the mould and we have some very short females of 5 foot, etc. So we can take short men on. Short, I would say, would be under 5'7". We've had a couple of men who are 5'5", and we have helped them. But we have to be careful not to take too many on. Now, isn't that interesting you say that? Why do you have to be careful about not taking too many short men? Because I personally wouldn't take somebody's money as a bona fide professional agency if I didn't think I could help them. And the majority of our girls are five seven and above, and so they do want usually a man who's up to six foot tall. So you're you're very good if you're just a plus on that. <laughs> and do, do women when they come in and, and you interview them, do they say, "Look, no one under five eight, please"? They usually say they want somebody six foot. Right. It's right. not under a certain height. And when I sort of say, well, what about somebody your own height? And then we talk around the issues of, you know, it's not imperative to, hum- to have somebody taller. And of course, a lot of girls like to wear heels, which makes them even taller. Uh, some short men, obviously, are very successful with women. I'm t- thinking, of course, of uh, Tom Cruise yes. and that, that wee fella off of um, Fantasy Island. So some are very successful. Is it because Tom Cruise is a multimillionaire actor or does he have a certain X factor? <laughs> I think a lot of it's got to do with who he is. Um, you know, that represents like Rod Stewart. He's always gone for statuesque blonde, yep. hasn't he? And I think it's who they are, the power of that person. And, of course, money does have a lot to do with it. It's amazing how that can change somebody's mind. Short men always uh, feel the need to show off a bit, I find, as well. The, the short man syndrome, where they have to be a little bit louder and a bit try, try and appear bigger than they actually are. Yes, um, but I mean, we, the, the, the short men that we've helped have been really good, mm. very well dressed, they've come across well, um, and I've told them, they know very well, they say, well, we know that I, you know, my height's against me, will you be able to help me? I don't want to get, most of them don't want to go out with a girl that's taller than them. Oh. So, um, you know, they, as long as we can find shorter ladies, as I've said, I've got a couple of ladies at the moment who are five foot um, five foot one, so they're perfect, and they in turn don't want to meet a very tall man. <laughs> so it's all swings and roundabouts, as with all human beings, they're all different. Lisa, I appreciate your time this morning. Lisa Moore is the owner of uh, a, an introduction agency called Tempting Fate. Would love to speak to her. We've sent Justin out to ask about this as well. I'd love to speak to a tiny man this morning. A, a tiny, under five foot eight, I would say, is, is, is short for a man in 2013, really. 
I always feel a bit sorry for tiny men. I don't, I don't know why. I don't mean to sound patronising, although, of course, I realise that does sound patronising. But I do feel very sorry for them. They're coming at life from such a disadvantage. If you're a tiny man, do you struggle to get dates with women? Do you really want to go out with a woman smaller than you? 08459 455 555, if you can reach the telephone. And if you're a, a, a woman, do you have a problem with men shorter than you? Have you done that thing where you sat down at a bar next to someone? Oh, hey, let's go out for let's go out for a meal or something. Then they stand up and they're wee. You could fit them in your pocket. Famous tiny people. Bruce Springsteen is under five foot. Tom Cruise, five foot two. I'm making these numbers up, but I know they're tiny men. The fellow from Fantasy Island, he was under five foot. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you're a woman, what's the minimum height you'd go for? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 southbound still looking slow after an accident earlier. A lorry and a car involved at Junction 13 for Bedford and Milton Keynes South. Everything's on the hard shoulder now. It was on the entry slip road. You're still going to find it quite busy past there. On the M25 clockwise, a lane closed because of a lorry fire a little earlier this morning between Chorleywood and Watford. Junctions 18 and 19. The fire is out. It's on the hard shoulder, but lane one is still closed off past the scene. Anti-clockwise is queuing from the M1 to Chorleywood and also heavy past the M40 at Junction 16 and slow into London on the A1 from the Holiday Inn Junction at Boreham Wood down toward Mill Hill. Metropolitan Line Tube suspended Finchley Road to Aldgate. Severe delays from Wembley Park to Finchley Road. It's a water leak at Baker Street. Your tickets will be taken on local buses and on Chiltern Railway services. And Virgin Trains report disruption between Rugby and Manchester after they had a trespass incident earlier this morning at Stockport. The good news is all lines have reopened there, but there are still some residual delays and cancellations. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 7.30 News and Sport. Now, here's Serena Farrow. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure passengers' safety. It comes as they say people of private hire vehicles are driving atrociously. Meanwhile, a man's been arrested in connection with a stabbing in Luton. A 59-year-old was treated to surgery on Liverpool Road yesterday afternoon. James Galdonfini, who starred in the American television series The Sopranos, has died suddenly at the age of 51. And more than £2.5 million is being spent on derelict properties in Buckingham. In Hertfordshire. The properties have been identified as locations for antisocial behaviour and crime. That's the news. Now let's move on to all the morning sport. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. So the British and Irish Lions have named their side for the first test match against Australia, which takes place on Saturday. Saracens prop Marco Vicinimobla has been included. England prop Alex Corbusiero is also a surprise. Moving on to football and Milton Keynes Dons are being linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Scunthorpe, who were rejected from League One last season, have already rejected a bid from Championship Club Doncaster. Manager Brian Laws believes that will now create some more interest. Well, there's a lot of... Uh rumours and speculation about which clubs but I believe there's been interest from our inquiries from Barnsley from Sheffield United you've got Doncaster Brentford MK Dons there's quite a few out there who are really keen on the lad but uh, we obviously want to make sure that we get the best price for him for sure if, if he does leave the football club 
Returning to Luton now and centre-half Anthony Charles has become the seventh signing of the summer for them. The 32-year-old who helped Barnett and Aldershot to the conference title in 2005 and 2008 respectively has penned an initial one-year contract at Kenilworth Road. Elsewhere, Sri Lanka play India in the second semi-final of the Champions Trophy today with the winner facing England in Sunday's final. Plays due to start just after 10 o'clock. And there were defeats for all four Britons at the Eastbourne International Tennis yesterday. Laura Robson, Heather Watson and Ellen Baltaksha are all went out. BBC Three Counties Radio, more from me at 8. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, we're talking about banks, we're talking about webcams that could be turned on without your knowledge, and we're talking about tiny men. Before that, um, just before the news, we uh, mentioned some streetlights that were being uh, left on in the daytime and turned off at night. My solution has always been turn off... Uh, to save money at night time, turn off every second and third light. So you've got a light on, two lights off. Light on, two lights off. Well, Peter's emailed me, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk. Milton Keynes turned off every third street light. It cost about 50 grand to do it. Ah? Uh? In the following year, accidents at night rose by 30% and two people died, attributed directly by the coroner to the lights being off. Rather than just turn them back on, the new policy is to turn them on trimmed and dimmed. This means they are dimmed and go off at midnight. The cost of this is... £860,000? No! Pete, show me where you got those statistics from. Remember that the original intention was to save 40 grand a year and to combat climate change. You may ask, where has trimming and dimming at the cost of £860,000 been tested? It hasn't. It costs just under a million pounds to trim and dim the lights. I'll go around and do each one individually for half that. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now the bit of Lloyd's Bank owned by taxpayers could soon be sold off. The last government spent billions saving the institution during the economic crisis, but the Chancellor says conditions are now nearly right to reprivatise it. The Chancellor says RBS, which was also bailed out, is further from being ready for sale, but Lloyd's is nearly good to go. Lloyd's is in a good position. Investor interest is growing, and shares are already trading at around the price where selling would reduce the national debt. That's something we all want to see. I can announce that we're actively considering options for share sales in Lloyd's. Of course, we will only proceed if we get value for the taxpayer. Well, the Shadow Chancellor, Ed Balls, says it's important the government gets the sales right. The Chancellor can get Lloyd's back at a profit. That's a good thing, so long as we get bank lending moving. But as for Royal Bank of Scotland, for weeks we've been told the Chancellor was going to rush for a quick fire sale. The taxpayer would have lost. It would have been bad for the economy. He should do it properly. I'm pleased he's back down. Well, joined now by Jonathan Davis, who's an economist and a wealth manager. Good morning, Jonathan. Are you confident that the government can get this right? Well, I don't know what you mean by right. Um, I I think it's appropriate that... uh, uh, we shouldn't hold on to banking assets. Um, we being uh, the taxpayer and the government, it, it should be in private hands. Um, and I think it's appropriate that um, we should try and get as much for it as possible because we lost so much money already. For Osborne, however, to say that Lloyd's is in a good state uh, financially now, I think is total nonsense because, as everyone knows, um, Uh, something like uh, one in eight or or more of uh, households 
are in negative equity, which means that they owe more on their mortgage than is the value of their house. And of course, uh, Lloyd's uh, and Halifax, uh, which is part of the same group, was was the biggest lender. And, and of course, these people still owe that money. Um, so that is that there is still massive uh, bad debts within uh, the Lloyds organisation. Is this what I've been hearing about, the, the, the good part of Lloyds and the bad part of Lloyds? Well, um, there's a little good, but the majority of it is bad. Um, uh, uh, Lloyds is Lloyds and Bank of Scotland. Now, uh, Bank of Scotland was a totally, utterly reckless lender uh, in the decade up to 2008. Uh, Halifax lent to anyone and everyone, uh, Lloyd's not so much. And of course it was Halifax Bank of Scotland which went under and Gordon Brown effectively told Lloyd's to take them over. it is still in a dreadful state. Um, no doubt um, the government is trying to get rid of it, uh, 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 put it into the private industry, which in one sense is good, but on the other sense, we're going to be shafted yet again. How's that going to work? Because after the share sale to the institutions, the uh, the financiers who are going to make a lot of money out of this, the next share sale will be to uh, you and me, the public, as well as to the pension funds. And of course, it will be the next share sale where all the rubbish comes out into the open. What's What ca- else can he do? We can't keep sitting on this bank, can we? Well, um, what he can do, uh, not so much... Uh, focus on the minutiae of uh, an individual bank. We need the entire uh, banking uh, sector and the economy uh, in in the round. And uh, uh, what we need to do is clear out the weeds from the economy, the failed enterprises, uh, and we need to let the flowers grow. When we have, as we have, in effect, a zero interest rate environment and we're borrowing over a hundred billion pounds a year uh, and effectively putting most of it into the banking system we're not letting the economy right itself five years after the biggest economic and financial collapse in history we need a couple of years of hard recession in order to have a generation of growth instead and I know a lot of people will not agree with this, in effect, Osborne and the coalition are doing what the last lot did, and we are, in effect, in a 30-year depression because he's not letting the, the bad stuff get thrown out, and he's not letting the good stuff come forward. Yesterday, Jonathan, we were talking on this show about bankers uh, who are irresponsible, possibly facing prison sentences. That was uh, a recommendation from the Commission on Banking Standards. Would that work? Um, I I think, uh, having spoken to uh, uh, legal experts on this, I I think it's uh, highly unlikely that we're willing to uh, jail anyone for recklessness. Uh, And uh, my own personal view is we shouldn't even try. And on top of that, um, I think this is yet more obfuscation and evasion by politicians uh, to pretend that they're doing something. The focus should not be on reckless lending. The focus should be on fraudulent 
criminal activity. We know for a fact that there has been fraud and criminal activity within banking, LIBOR manipulation, money laundering in Mexico by HSBC. These are in these are proven and there are many other examples and yet how many bankers have been prosecuted for criminal activity the answer is not one Jonathan thank you very much indeed Jonathan uh, Davis who is a, a financial expert and uh, uh, economist and wealth manager 08459 455 555 text 81333 Start your message with 3CR. Texts will be charged at the standard network rate. BBC Three Counties Radio. So, taxi drivers. We've heard from uh, some driving instructors who say that the Luton taxi drivers don't sit a certain exam and that they are dangerous on the roads. What do you think? What are your experiences of being in the back of cabs? 08459 Uh Oh, Priya's disappeared. We'll try and get Priya back if we uh, if we can. In the meantime, here are some texts. One's from Pat. Hi, Ian. Taxi drivers in Luton especially believe they are above the law when driving on our roads. Regularly, you see them doing a turn in the road on major roads. On the phone whilst driving is all too common and speeding from one destination to another. Luton Borough Council's answers to past complaints from me are that there's a lack of licensing officers to deal with those offending taxi operators. Why don't you you get them on the show. Who do you want on the show? Pat, the taxi drivers or Luton Borough Council? You do see some awful things. Taxi drivers should not be using their... Te- no one should be using their telephones um, when you're driving. Although it's legal in the States. But taxi drivers in particular, they should be setting a better example, shouldn't they? Uh, I think Priya's back. Morning, Priya. Good morning. Priya, what's your experience of being in a cab? It happened years ago, but we got it when we first moved to Luton, and we got into a taxi, me and my husband, and um, the taxi driver went and uh, lectured us about a mixed-race couple, why are we together, Um, but, you know, we're bad people for doing that, and, uh, you know, if you have children, then that's the worst thing you could have done for them. He lectured us the whole trip. (laughs) So I'm, I'm guessing from your name, Priya, that you're possibly Indian. I'm Indian. And is your husband white? He is indeed, yes. And so, at what point in the journey did the driver start saying, oh, no, 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 that doesn't work? Well, he started talking, like, he was generally talking, chit-chatting, and then, you know, then then he started going on off on one about, you know, how bad it is, and you shouldn't do that. Why why did he think it was bad? I don't know, that was just his opinion, I think. Did you not tell him to get stuffed? Well... It was tempting, but I mean, I just looked at my husband and he looked at me as if to say, don't say a word. Oh, right, yes. And we uh, didn't leave him a tip. We just couldn't wait to get out of the taxi. You, you didn't leave him a tip? No. Good, good for you, Priya. Listen, it's not the best line, so we'll let you go. I have. It's funny, isn't it? The the control that uh, taxi drivers have over us. I've agreed. I've I have uh, consented to casual racism in the back of a cab, just because. Actually, once once or twice, I've kind of said, I think you're a bit out of order there, mate. But it, it's just easier to go, uh-huh, yeah. They come over here, nicking all our jobs. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And that's... I, listen, I'm not casual racist at all, and it's shameful I do that. But it's it's really hard. You're in the back of a cab, a black cab or, or a mini cab or whatever, to kind of say, well, actually, no, I, you know, I think what you're saying is, is inappropriate. It's really hard to do. 
Uh, James in Milton Keynes says, I drive for a living. I'm almost cut up daily by cab drivers in Milton Keynes. I don't know if Milton Keynes Council has a test. I think they do, James. I think they do. Blinder says, I was in the back of a cab in Luton. The driver had a conversation on the phone, not hands-free. His one-handed driving terrified me. I got out early and walked the rest of the way. I reported him. The thing is... Uh, they are a lot of them are great a lot of them are really good drivers but a lot of them are so rubbish aren't they and the thing that gets me is they will not shut up shut up just stop talking i don't want to talk to you i don't want to so you having a good day yeah what do you do for a living Uh, i'm on the radio oh you're famous oh do you know that um do you know that christian o'connell yes i do yeah What's he like in real life? Because he's... But he's an idiot. He uh, just... Just... I don't want to talk to you. 08459 455 555. Your experience of being in, in, uh, in cabs. By the way, if you're a taxi driver and you want to phone up and defend yourself, give us a call. Try and pull over first if you can. No, not when you've got a fare in the back. It, just, you know, rules and things, isn't it? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Toward the Black Cat roundabout, queues are starting to build this morning. Southbound on the M1, traffic's easing after the accident earlier at Junction 13 for Bedford. All the vehicles that were involved in that are on the hard shoulder, and everything's moving past there quite well. Clockwise M25, we've still got queues after the earlier lorry fire. It's on the clockwise carriageway between Chorleywood and Watford, Junction 18 and 19. Congestion back to Maple Cross at 17. The good news, though, is that all lanes have now reopened. They did have lane one closed off past that fire. Anti-clockwise, queuing from the M1 to Chorley Wood, and it's also slow past the M40 at Junction 16. Disruption for Virgin Trains to and from Manchester because of an earlier trespass incident at Stockport, meaning we could have some late running services coming down from Manchester toward London. And then into London on the tube, severe delays on the Metropolitan Line because of a water leak at Baker Street. The good news is that service has now resumed to all destinations, however it's still causing big problems and your tickets will be taken on the buses and on Chiltern Railway services for the time being. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Right, it's nearly 7.47. It's Thursday the 20th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Taxi owners in Luton are being told to take a special test as their driving is putting passengers' lives at risk. The watchdog for schools in England wants to create a special team to help poorer pupils who are falling behind their wealthier classmates. In sport, Saracens player Mako Vonipa has been included in the British and Irish Lions. Coming up, webcams. Well, apparently there is a chance, a small chance, but a chance nonetheless, that your webcam could be turned on without you knowing it. Dear, some of the things they might see. 08459 455 555. Here's the weather with Wendy. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. We start the day with a bit more hazy sunshine for some places at least, some thick cloud about as well and that really warm and humid feel again. Now we're going to start seeing some heavy thundery showers as we go through the morning and into the afternoon as well. Some will come up from France, some will make ourselves on the way and temperatures will get up to about 21 degrees Celsius at the top end today. Now these showers, they're not going to be for absolutely everyone but where they do crop up will be heavy, thundery, possibly um, 
um, give us some localised uh, surface water flooding as well. So the Met Office has us covered by a weather warning for that throughout the day today once the showers get going. Still a few knocking about throughout the evening, but it becomes dry overnight for the most part, with temperatures around 13 or 14 degrees Celsius. And tomorrow, although there is the risk of a shower, particularly in the afternoon, I think it will be largely dry with some sunny spells breaking through, especially towards the end of the day, and temperatures will get up to about 18 or 19 degrees Celsius. As for the weekend, well, we start it with a spell of rain and then it turns blustery with some showers and sunshine in between those. It's going to be much fresher, 16 or 17 degrees Celsius, and it's still going to be rather blustery with showers on Sunday as well. So back to, back to normal over the weekend. Thank you very much, Wendy. Nick Coffer's Weekend Kitchen. This Saturday I'm making seven simple dishes that you can try at home, including some wonderful Chinese ribs. They're fiery as well, so you get that lovely sticky, sweet, salty, everything. A scrumptious one-pot fish bake and a classic summer fruit trifle. It's got strawberries, raspberries, peaches, all of which are really lovely at the moment. As always, you can get all the recipes sent to you. Just listen from midday on Saturday for all the details. Nick Coffer's Weekend Kitchen on BBC Three Counties Radio. Isn't Nick Coffer growing a bit of a beard at the moment? The last couple of days I've seen him, he's either been out partying all night or he's growing a little bit of a beard. It suits him. It looks good on him. We're talking about no connection, short men soon, and also webcams. But before that, taxis. Could be dangerous in Luton. They don't need to sit a test that is required elsewhere. What are your stories about taxi drivers? Robert's in Luton. Morning, Robert. Morning, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, Robert. I believe you were involved in an incident with a taxi. Don't mention the company's name, but what happened? Well, basically, um, I ordered a taxi from Cosgrove Way in Industrial Estate on the 25th of January. It was going to be a two-part journey, first to pick my daughters up from Marsh Farm and then back to my place on Rossay Road. Um, I noticed on the drive to Marsh Farm, the driver was driving erratically, going in the wrong lane. Uh, in, around the bath, cutting people off and bibbing his horn at them when he's in the wrong. But the ultimate came just as we uh, as we turned right uh, into Cardiff Road, off Dunstable Road. Um, I kept saying three times, next left, which was Adelaide Street. No response. The next thing I know, he's gone into the back of a parked car on Cardiff Road. You, uh, so hang on, you were telling him, next left, no, ne- next left, whoa! And then he smashed into the back of a car? Yeah. What was going on with him? Was he was he high or something? <laughs> I wish I, I, uh, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And, and what what did what did he say? Did he what happened after the smack? He got out and that obviously the park car wasn't unattended. He left a note on on the windscreen, then dropped me and, and the girls on the next road. Yeah. But um. I, I started fe- feeling bad because um, he, he went, his, his taxi went onto the offside of, of the parked car. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was on the near side of, in his car and I felt the full impact. Luckily, my daughters were okay. But did, did you give him a tip? <laughs> he still charged me the full fare. <laughs> Excuse me? And did you pay it? I paid it. Oh, mate, uh, Robert, no, no. I would have told him to get lost. I, I would have I would have said I'm not giving you any money for that. My, my girls are in the back of your car and you've just crashed it. You should give me money. Well, I, I end up lo- losing out on pay due, due to the accident and that. Yeah. Because, uh, I had to take a couple of days off work. I was fine that night. Uh, I took my daughter swimming the next day 
Then it was Sunday morning, because this was on a Friday. Sunday morning, I just couldn't, I just couldn't move my neck. So I went, went to my GPs on Monday, and uh, told me to take a couple, a couple of days off that I've got a form of whiplash. I approached the taxi company on that, and um, it's, it's a long story. It's a long story. Yeah. It's a long story. Well, listen, Robert, it doesn't look long. So we'll, we'll end it there because we need to, to move on. But I, I think we got the main, uh, the main thrust of your story. I wouldn't have paid him. Yeah, that'll be £12.50, mate. Yeah, you're not getting a penny for it. How dare you? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a charity is warning people to cover their webcams to protect themselves from hackers spying on you using the camera on your own computer. Childnet International is also advising teenagers not to keep computers in their bedrooms to cut the risk of being ratted. Well, a Five Live investigation has uncovered websites where hackers trade uh, photos and videos of people who've been secretly filmed via their own webcams. We can talk now to John Taylor, an internet safety expert and former police officer who went undercover on the internet. John, what types of people are accessing these webcams? Well, that's the interesting bit. If you read the article, and obviously I I am aware that this happened, um, very young offenders, if you like, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, mainly male, and we're talking here about the random access, and that's why you've used the word ratted, really it stands for the rat, the random access Trojan, and what is most worrying is the age of the people who are actually using this and and, uh, being able to hack into computers, mainly, unfortunately, of uh, of females. Is it, it, so it's a sexual thing, is it? They're hoping to catch them uh, naked or in various states of undress, is that what it's about? Yes, but also you'll have one or two that will just say that they want to frighten people by suddenly switching on there or also being able to show them um, uh, a bit of a horrible uh, website. But yes, it's mainly sexual. Is it easy to do? Well, it is. The unfortunate bit is, again, if you read these articles, but again, I mean, it's awful to say, but I've known about this for five, six years. This isn't something that's new. You can imagine that we're now talking about it, but they've had five, six years head start to actually make sure... The, the Trojans, the viruses that they can infect your computer with are there. People talk about hacking, and people think that hacking is either very, very difficult or very easy. Well, it's something that's not geekish anymore. There's a lot of sites. If you go, if you go on and you want to watch films or listen to music free of charge, you can go to sites and listen to it, and that involves streaming. And the minute you start streaming, that means you're getting something from another person's server or computer that's coming to yours. Within that will be embedded a Trojan or virus that will allow for that random, uh, random access. You talk about a, a, a thing called the jailbait game in the US. What's, what's that? Yes, this is the more sinister side to it. This just isn't really known about much in the UK because here what we've got is there's people who are deliberately saying, yes, I'm just get, gaining access or random access to a web can to see naked uh, females so I can then sell them even. Um, what's happening now is it's a bit more sinister than that. You've actually got very legal websites which are called video chat sites, the things like chat roulette you may have heard about. Mm. But there's others, there's things called stick cam and Omegle, which is very popular in the UK. And this is for self-generated uh, movies. And what's happening now with uh, sexual pred- online sexual predators, 
they're using these to engage with some very, very, very young girls. I mean, we're talking girls under the age of 10 that are being filmed, they're being coerced into being filmed and to uh, uh, take their clothes off in front of camera. And, of course, the other side to this is that you can buy <clears throat> or easily download very free software that allows you to record um, what you're actually seeing on your screen. So these sex offenders will be recording what they're actually getting the young girls to do. And they then create a website and sell them. And what's happening in the, U in the U.S. and has been going on in the U.S. for over two years now, it's called the Jailbait Game. And Jailbait actually stands for um, uh, a young female too, too young to actually have sex. That's the word, Jailbait. And they try and build up points. So they, they, that's how they sort of blackmail or coerce the youngsters into taking the credit. So, sorry, they build up points, what, by, by the number of girls under the age of 10 they can get to strip off? Well, no, they give points to the actual girls to say, well, you'll get 10 points if you blow me a kiss, 50 oh. points if you give me a wave, 20 points if you take your top off, oh dear. 100 points if you take all your clothes off. And then they, obviously, what these sex offenders then do, there's a, it, obviously it's, it's sexually motivated, but it's also to do with power and also to do with finance, because people who set up these websites will then be able to sell the films. Now, the big thing about this, when I, I go into a lot of schools now, and I speak to a lot of pupils from the ages of year five, which is your nine, your ten, your eleven-year-olds, all the way up to the year elevens uh, uh, in secondary school, and each year will have put their hand up, yet yeah, they know about chat roulette, there'll be the giggles that they have been on it with their friends, so this isn't something that perhaps the adults and parents know, but obviously um, children, very young children, are aware of. We've got 30 seconds, John. What can we do about it? Yeah, I agree. I was looking at the, uh, what the Childnet has said. Uh, the webcams, you can't buy a computer these days without a webcam. So therefore, look at uh, if it's not going to be used correctly, uh, i.e. to talk to the, your grand who lives in New Zealand or Australia, put some cover over it, put a bit of tape over it. Now, that sounds a bit old hat, but... Oh, do that so you can't. That stops the random access Trojan. Also, if it's a young child, take the software off the computer. There's no need for a child aged nine, ten, or eleven to be using a, um, a webcam. Absolutely no need at all. John, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, John Taylor, internet safety expert. I, I always have to stress with these kind of stories. It's a minority. Don't don't be g going and chucking your computer in the bin. Well, you can chuck it in my direction if you want. It, it is a minority, but it's definitely something to be aware of. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A1 slow toward the Black Cat roundabout, the M25 clockwise. We've got queues because of the earlier truck fire between Chorleywood at Junction 18 and Watford at Junction 19. Slow back to Maple Cross despite the fact that all lanes have reopened. Anti-clockwise is queuing from the M1 round to Chorleywood, then after a short reprieve gets very slow again past the M40 at Junction 16 and delays into London through Borehamwood, the A1 down toward Mill Hill is crawling. Metropolitan Line Tube still running with severe delays. A water leak at Baker Street outside the station in the Baker Street area is causing these problems. Tickets will still be accepted on local buses and on Chiltern Railway services for the time being. And if you're travelling Virgin trains this morning, they still have disruption Manchester Piccadilly to Rugby because of a trespass incident at Stockport early this morning. All lines are open, but residual cancellations and delays of up to 40 minutes are expected to services running up toward Manchester and coming from Manchester down toward London. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Next hour of the show. Do you feel safe travelling in a taxi? A driving instructor in Luton claims lives are being put at risk. And short men, will they ever find love unless they're a multi-millionaire actor like Tom Cruise? On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
It's eight o'clock. The headlines. Calls for Luton's taxi drivers to take special tests. Teams set up to help poorer children in schools. And Soprano star dies. BBC Three Counties Radio. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure passengers' safety. Paul Connolly, who's a driving instructor, has come to us with video evidence of what he says is appalling driving from those of private hire vehicles. And while I've been out there driving, um, they tend to sort of pull out in front of us, they overtake us on the road and then pull in front because there's cars coming towards us and stuff like that. Um, The video evidence that we've got is the one on the roundabout where the taxi driver blatantly gets into the wrong lane and then forces us across the road onto the other side of the road so if there was a car that was coming up to turn right off of the roundabout we'd have crashed into the side of him uh, or that that vehicle basically and stay listening as ian lee will be speaking to more people on this story here on bbc three counties radio in other news a man's been arrested in connection with a stabbing in luton's mersey place a 59 year old was treated at a surgery on liverpool road yesterday before being taken to hospital at around a quarter past three The watchdog for schools in England will call for the establishment of a special team of what it's calling National Service Teachers. It's to help poorer pupils who are falling behind their wealthier classmates. Ofsted says the problem is worse in deprived coastal towns and rural areas. The Chief Inspector of Schools, Sir Michael Wilshire, says he wants teachers with a strong track record to go to areas where less well-off students are underperforming. Quite a few of the staff work hard, but they've not seen good. They don't know what good looks like and they don't know what to do about about underachieving poor children particularly in white british communities and what we need to do is get our best teachers who know what good looks like and know how to challenge underperformance in these communities into these areas and kickstart improvement The Milton Keynes-based Open University celebrates its 40th birthday today. Since the 70s, about 1.8 million people have graduated and the model of distance learning has been copied around the world. The American actor James Gandolfini, who starred in the television drama The Sopranos, has died suddenly at the age of 51. He suffered a suspected heart attack while on holiday in Italy. Now, streetlights left on in daytime in parts of Hertfordshire are wasting taxpayers' money. The leader of the Liberal Democrat group, Stephen Giles Medhurst, says residents' pleas for action appear to have been ignored. Well, the County Council's been arranging for several lights to be switched off, but a light was on yesterday afternoon outside the Horns pub in Watford. Bar manager Owen Greenshields hopes this resolved the problem. I don't understand why that is on. Uh, I'm sure now I've noticed it, thanks to somebody pointing out, I'll make some inquiries with the council. It is probably a, a mixed function or something, but again, obviously I'll get onto the council and see if they can sort it out. In sport, the British and Irish Lions have named their side for the first test match against Australia, which takes place on Saturday. Saracens prop Mako Vinipola will also be included. Let's turn to the weather then and showers heavy at times but becoming dry this afternoon. Temperatures of 22 degrees Celsius. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Now, uh, Serena, how tall are you? About 5'4". OK. Would 160 you... centimetres, oh, I should say. No, let's don't. Let's get metric. No, let's keep it in old we're money, not please. In, we're not in the Philistine area now, are we? The, the Philistine the area. 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 Come on. Area. Yes, come on then. Would you go out with a man that was shorter than you? No, but I've been out with one similar size to me. What do you, what do you mean, what, what, similar? Same, smaller, taller, what? I try not to look most of the time, because it's, you know, for a woman you like to feel protected, don't you, to a certain degree. How can you not look at the man you're going out with? Well, it's easy sometimes, isn't it? You get distracted. 
look around and stuff. Right. <laughs> Thanks very much, Serena. Unbelievable. You get distracted. I try not to look at them. Yeah, I try not to look at the people I go out with. It just makes life so much easier, doesn't it? You get distracted sometimes. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here every weekday morning between six and nine. Jonathan Vernon-Smith comes in at nine. He'll be in in about, I don't know, 12 minutes to let me know what's on his show this morning. I have no idea. I'm looking forward to finding out. But between now and nine, a driving instructor in Luton claims lives are being put at risk because of poor driving standards from some taxi drivers. Well, do you feel safe travelling in a taxi? Earlier on, we heard from a chap who was in a Luton taxi and it crashed into the back of another car. He still paid him the fare. Oh, I'd have, I'd have told him to jog on. In a county where lights are turned off at night, it appears that in parts of Hertfordshire they're leaving the lights on in the daytime. And 71% of women have told a survey that a potential date would not stand a chance if he was under six foot. Well, if you're a short man... Have you struggled to get a date? And if you're a taller lady, or a lady of any height, would you go out with a tiny fella? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can text me 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call 08459 555555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. How safe do you feel in the back of a minicab? Or maybe you drive around town and you see some pretty ropey driving from taxi drivers. Oh, do give me a call. 08459 455 555. We've been contacted at BBC Three Counties Radio by a driving instructor who claims that lives are being put at risk because of dangerous driving standards from some taxi drivers in Luton. Paul Connolly has come to us with video evidence of what he says is appalling motoring that includes cabbies driving on the wrong side of the road to turn a corner. He's calling for all taxi owners to take a driving standard agency test, something that's compulsory for other taxi drivers in other parts of the three counties. Well, Paul came in uh, this morning, and here's what he told me about why taxi drivers should be doing this test. Basically, they're a passenger service vehicle, if you think of it in that way, and you wouldn't get a bus driver that would... Um, get in a bus without taking the proper licence to actually be able to drive it and in other parts of the county it's mandatory that they do it through the council and we'd like to know why Luton Borough Council haven't brought it in here so if you do it, if you're a taxi driver in Dunstable you've, you've got to take it over there and if you're in St Albans you've got to take it over there but in Luton we don't actually enforce it in Luton and we don't know why Well Councillor Tom Shaw is from Luton Borough Council and has responsibility for licensing of taxis well why don't we enforce it in Luton uh, Tom? Because in Luton, we've got a much more stricter private hire and taxi driver's licensing policy than anywhere else in the county. How is it stricter? Uh, right, first of all, in Luton, you've got to take uh, MBQ2, which covers all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, knowledge, tests, covers routes, destinations, maths, the highway code, licensing conditions. In Luton, you've got to have an ad- advanced SRB check, not just a normal one. One of our problems in Luton isn't the drivers, is because we're so strict in Luton, uh, people go, just go out of your office and have a look and see how many cabs are registered in Dunstable what operate in Luton, or Central Beds as it's called nowadays, because their policies aren't as strict as ours. We may not have the advanced driving test, but 
the way I understand it, uh, checking up legally yesterday, anywhere else it is in the county, it's not mandatory, it's discretionary. Uh, who, voted, who voted, Tom, for, for Luton drivers not to have to take me. this test? Me. You? You made the yes. decision? I made the decision. And are, are you happy with the standard of, of cabbing in Luton? We've, we've heard some pretty ropey stories this morning. Uh, well, one of the things, what, if you get in any cab in Luton operating in Luton, what there is right in front of you in the passenger seat is a complaints procedure. And one of the things what happens is it gets monitored and all the results come to me. We suspend an awful lot of drivers in Luton. How many? Complaints off the public. How, how many uh, drivers uh, do you suspend? At any one time, at the moment, there's 20-odd suspended. And uh, what? But it's not, it's not just for driving. It's uh, when they, co- they have to come to us every few years to have the licence renewed. And one of the things, what's on that licence, if you've had an accident at any time and not reported it immediately to the council, then you're under, you know, you're under threat of not having your licence renewed. And if, you've, so if, a driver's, if a driver's been suspended, Tom, what, 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 how do they get unsuspended? Uh, well, some are suspended forever. Other ones are suspended for a number of years. If it's bad behaviour, you know, just uh, not being respectful to members of the public, they can be suspended for amount of time. We changed the rules about six months ago that uh, you've got an automatic right of appeal to members but we gave a lot of power to the officers rather than have to go, you know, wait for months to go for an appeal system. The officers can make the decision there and then that whether they think the person is a fit person to be driving, whether the offence is too serious for them to make the decision, then it has to go to what's called the Taxi Drivers Appeals Panel, Private Eye Appeals Panel, and then a panel of councillors will make that decision whether they're Tom, whether let, it should be on the road or not. Let me interrupt. We've been getting uh, texts and calls saying that the council, uh, when they complain to the council, they're told there just aren't enough licensing officers to deal with problems. Here's a text from Pat. Uh, Ian, taxi drivers in Luton especially believe they are above the law when driving on the roads. Uh, Luton Borough Councils, uh, sorry, Luton Borough Councils' answers to past complaints from me are that there's a lack of licensing officers to deal with those offending taxi operators. Well, that's strange, because if you go through the council's official records, we've got more licensing officers than any other district. Well, Pat, claims, well, Pat claims, and I, I, I think it's a gentleman, Pat, I'm not sure, but Pat claims that uh, he has been told that there aren't enough officers to deal, to deal with the problem. Well, I'm sorry, Ian, you, you know, you, you can go on an internet site, see how many licensing officers so we've Pat's, got. So Pat's lying? Not lying, it may be misunderstanding. What we have got is more than Dunstable, Central Beds... Added together. Andrew's no, called in to say the same thing, that there are not yeah. enough officers to deal with this. Well, there is enough officers. Uh, but we've we, got two we people, believe... we've got two people, Tom, saying that they have been told that there's not enough people to deal with their complaints. Are, are, are you saying that, 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 that Andrew and Pat are, are wrong? No, I, yeah, I am saying they're wrong, and I'll be quite happy to sit down. They can come to my surgeon, talk to me any time they want, and I'll look into any complaints they've got at all. Tom, listen, nice to talk to you as always. Uh, no thank you very much, Councillor Tom Short from Luton Borough Council. I always feel with, with Tom, he was offered the chance to go on a PR course and he told him he was busy that weekend. I always, you just feel that he's, he's some councillors, they give you a bit of flim and indeed a little bit of flam. I feel that Tom is, is speaking honestly when he speaks to us. I may be wrong, but I always feel he's, he's, giving, uh, he's giving us honest answers. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We'll look into that, about the number of uh, officers and, and uh, complaints that have been made. See if we can back that up. Now, 71% of women, here's a quantum leap, 
have told a survey that a potential date wouldn't stand a chance if he was under six foot. Well, obviously, this hasn't affected the millionaire Bernie Eccleston or the movie star Tom Cruise. Maybe they've got other... Um, uh, uh, attractions. Well, our eight foot four tall reporter Justin Dealey has been out looking for short men. Justin, you are a big lad, aren't you? Yes, I'm a big unit, a bit like you. Yes, like, I'm, you're taller than me, actually, aren't you? I am taller than you. Not quite as handsome, but you're taller. Not as handsome, but my hairline is not receding as much. <laughs> oh, uh, so I have that, that in. hard. And I'm a li- little bit slimmer. How is the grey hair? Is that okay? The grey hair is wonderful. How's the balding? Um, fine, actually. Okay, you're good. The first person has mentioned that, but uh, I'll make a note of just, that. Just being, pol- you know, everyone's yeah, being a bit polite right. around you. Tread carefully around uh, anyway justin let's let's not fall out on the air again we'll save that for afterwards uh it 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 is odd isn't it that that, that short men they do have to make a big song and dance about things they do like to get attention and i just can't see no disrespect to our short listeners but why a woman would ever want to go out with them mind you people like michael j fox danny devito lou reed paul simon Vern troyer i mean these people they've not struggled i'm in st albans this morning i've been looking for short men i found a few and this is what happened roger how tall are you uh five seven five seven has your height affected your love life no no currently in a relationship yes so why do you think these women are saying they wouldn't go out with a guy if he was under six foot um i think it's probably cultural um advertising uh, conditioning seeing big posters of hunky six foot men yeah that kind of thing but it's never affected you personally no no william for the purpose of this can you tell us how tall you are Five five. Five five, currently in a relationship. Have you found it hard finding love because of your height? Not never a problem. And that would be because deal with people as people and they get respect. So your personality always shines through? I would say so, yeah. Would you like being five five? Would you like to be a bit taller? No. Happy no. just the small, way you are. Small package is good enough. Well sir, you're five foot eight, so you're under six foot tall. Would you say that your height has affected your love life? Oh yes, without any doubt. If I was some tall, handsome American I would have much more successful relationships. Just because of your height? Yes, I'm, well, as it is, I'm a, uh, a short British squirt. <laughs> I mean, you're certainly a character, but surely your personality is much more important than your height? Ah, yes, but we should always judge books by their covers initially, should we not? I, I feel we should. Justin, thank you for that. Christian's on the line. Christian, I believe you're a tiny man. Yeah, I'm five foot four. Oi. Do you struggle? Short, I would say. Yeah, that is quite short. Do you struggle to find love? No, I've always done quite well, I think. Uh, and why is that? Are you very rich? Are you a famous film star? No, I work for a company that sells bathrooms. I'm not a film star. Oh, yeah. I think if you're not the Hunchback of Notre Dame, there's a certain amount of women that don't want to walk along with a fellow with their elbow on their head. So how, how tall? Are you courting at the moment? Yeah, I'm getting married this year, hopefully. Oh, well, congratulations. Look at that. You've, you've overcome uh, adversity. How tall is your fiance? Uh, five foot four, five foot five. Oh, so, she, taller, maybe. so she's tiny as well? Yeah. Okay. Have, have you ever been out with a, with a really tall woman, like five foot eight? I have been asked out by quite a few women that are taller than me. Being this short, most women are taller than me. I suppose they are. And yeah. does it, uh, uh, it uh, I, I try not to be too personal, but um, do you think that maybe they want to, to mother you slightly? Is that what it's about? <laughs> it's possible. But hey, you know what works, works. <laughs> we're not that, Vikings, all of us, are we? That line went through my head. And I thought, no, I won't say that, but you've done it yourself. <laughs> Christian, listen, when are you getting married? 
Uh, hopefully before Christmas. Okay, well, good good luck with that. But, but enjoy that. Well, Christian is a tight. He's a wee fella. Five four. That's very wee. He has no problems with the ladies. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A1 still slowing up toward the Black Cat roundabout on the southbound side. Along the A1M northbound, there was an accident briefly between Junction 6 at Welling Garden City and 7 at Stevenage, but that was cleared out of the way very quickly. The A5 in Dunstable starting to slow up on the southbound side between the A505 and Lynch Hill. Traffic easing off on the M25 clockwise now after the truck fire between Chorleywood and Watford. It's heavy though into the roadworks from St Albans through to the A1M. Anti-clockwise queuing from the M1 to Chorleywood and from Maple Cross to the M40. And we've still got problems for the tubes. The Metropolitan Line running with severe delays to all destinations because of a water leak between Finchley Road and Baker Street. The water leak is on Finchley Road. Tickets will be accepted on local buses and Chiltern Railway services for the moment. And Virgin Train services from Manchester are still being affected by a trespass incident at Stockport. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, 8.17, it's Thursday the 20th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Taxi owners in Luton are being told to take a special test as their driving is putting people's lives at risk. The watchdog for schools in England wants to create a special team to help poorer pupils who are falling behind their wealthier classmates. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons are being linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Hmm. Coming up, lights on, daytime, Hertfordshire. BBC Three Counties Radio. This Saturday night, BBC Introducing is live from the Hat Factory in Luton. With performances by Arthur Walwyn as Elephants Are, Charlie Indestructible and headlined by Tides. It's a free gig, so come down to the Hat Factory doors at seven and join in a fantastic night of live music. For full details, go to Facebook and search for BBC Introducing in Beds, Hearts and Bucks. BBC introducing live at the Hat Factory in Luton, Saturday night from 8. Sorry? I didn't understand that mime. I'm guessing you can't explain that mime on air, is that correct? Right, okay, true. lovely. Are you going to go to the Hat Factory on Saturday for uh, BBC introducing? No, oh. I'm, I'm at a luxury barbecue. Well, cancel that. Let's, let's, let, let you go to the Hat Factory oh, and... Grief, um, no. <laughs> by, by the even, no. Why? The, no, this what? is a luxury barbecue. Oh, there's it's a swimming pool involved. Oh, d- oh God, it's going to be one of those, is it? What, what do you mean, one of, oh, one of those? Oh, those, those very suburban <laughs> parties. That's oh, suburban we don't parties. I know what, why don't we um, take our chicken breasts into the swimming pool and, you know, <laughs> eat take them. Take our chicken breasts yeah. into the... No, it won't be one of those. OK, OK. What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> These headphones don't he's work. Swa- he's, he's swapped headphones about five times while they I've been talking work. to him. Then he's flipped it off his ear as if he's doing a charity record. <laughs> they don't work. Okay. Well, okay. Oh, they've just popped back on. Oh, for goodness <laughs> Don't let them be- see behind the... People think we're in a swish, luxury BBC <laughs> studio. They don't realise that we're, we're literally... The studio is built by Lego. There is Lego it on is, this yes. desk. I know it sounds like a joke. There is actual Lego here. It is made of Lego. There it is. Uh, what's on your show this morning? I've got no idea, and I'm genuinely excited to find out. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I'm most interested out of all of the things you're. I mean, you're talking about lots of it. Very interesting. Tiny men this morning. Tiny men. No, oh. I'm not doing tiny men. Although I do find that interesting as a subject. Lights in the daytime. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, you didn't that. I like. Yeah, oh, that's nice. what I like. Uh, I'm a Hertfordshire resident, you see, so I'm yep. used to being plunged into darkness yes. at night. From nine this morning on the big phone in, does anyone still think streetlights should be left on at night? Streetlights in Hertfordshire, as you've been talking about this morning, they're being left on during the day some of them, and it's wasting taxpayers' money. That's according to Hearts County Councillor Stephen Giles Midhurst. Residents may find it particularly irritating, considering up to 80% of Hertfordshire's lights are switched off at night specifically to save money. In fact, the big switch-off across the country from midnight to 6am saves the council over a million pounds a year. A million pounds! Wow, think of all the uh, barbecue parties you could throw with that. Uh, That pays, well, the serious side of that, pays for a lot of meals on wheels. Yeah, of course it does. Pays for a lot of uh, disabled carers, elderly carers, all that kind of thing. Well, this morning, Justin Dealey, he was in Watford to get your views on the need for streetlights, and I was very interested to hear one woman say she misses lights in the evening and wishes they were on all night. Well, surely, surely by now, I mean, they've been turning the streetlights off in Hertfordshire for like over a year. Mm. Surely we've all got used to it. I mean, I certainly have. Where I live, half past eleven. None of this, none of this midnight business. Half past eleven, it's like someone goes at the council and switches the lights all off. Yep. Pitch black. Lovely. In fact, I walked back the other day. I'd been out for for a meal. Why, why are you giggling? Because I, I like the way you, you, you get comfortable to tell a little anecdote. Well, I, I, I went... He's, le- he's crossed, he's, he's holding his, clasp his hands, and he's leant forward towards the yeah. microphone. I went out for a meal, and, uh, and I walked back, and I walked through a graveyard with my colleague Tim. <laughs> are you why, 15 or why, something? Why am I telling this story? Uh, we'd been out. Yes. Uh, and he was, stay- he was staying at my place. Why am I telling this story? He'd better have a good ending. And we walked through this graveyard... Yeah. And they turn the lights off. I have never walked anywhere so dark in my time. You literally couldn't see where you were walking. There was yeah. no moon. It was absolutely pitch black. Wow. And Tim turned to me and he said, you know, JVS, if you weren't here, I wouldn't be doing this on my own. And I said, I feel the same, Tim. We walked through that graveyard and then... So- <laughs> What? This is something I was the kids thinking, do for a dare. <laughs> We're just trying to get home. As if you're going to be any protection if Tim gets attacked. What are you going <laughs> to... Ah! Exactly. Don't hit me! <laughs> exactly. But it was pitch black. But I loved it. I thought, I love this. This is what being alive's all about. None of these artificial streetlights illuminating you. It's all about experiencing real life. And you know what? Yeah. Real life sometimes involves being in the pitch black. From nine this morning, does anyone still think streetlights should be left on at night? Your views on oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Is that seriously your best argument for keeping streetlights off? Is so that you and no, your producer can no. get a little bit scared. You can get the willies no. in a churchyard. <laughs> no. Is that is that why? No, seri- the money that we save, yeah. it's worth every now and then. Yes, we'll have to walk back, and it will be dark. Yes, well, well, tough. Because if we're saving £1.3 million, pounds, yep. it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth being a little bit scared every now and then when you walk back from a, from a pastor in Prezzo. It's worth it for the savings. What do you think? From Nine, your views. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, we'll continue this conversation in a little bit. We'll talk about lights uh, shortly. 
Do you hear that cackling? <laughs> what was that? Uh, first of all, those short men. Sounds like you girls, you don't like short men. Ruth, in, Ruth is in High Wycombe. Ruth, do you, do you like short fellas? Um, no, I'm a short lady and I like very tall men. How, how tall are you? <laughs> I'm five foot. Oh, fantastic. That's marvellous. My first girlfriend was five foot tall, and I was six foot three. Oh, God, I used to be five foot one and a half, but I'm now five foot. What, what happened? I must have shrunk. Yeah, uh, you do, you do, you shrink you as do. you get older. Yeah, you do. And, and uh, my husband, he's six foot two. Wah, hey, <laughs> yeah. well done. But it doesn't matter, because when you're lying down, it's all the same oh, anyway. Steady, come on now, for goodness <laughs> sakes, you mucky pup. I don't know what you get up to. Uh, but but because um, I think that the tall men... And the six foot is almost tall. Tall men do quite like shorter women, significantly shorter yeah. women, don't they? Yeah, they do. There's they something do. kind of fun about it. Yeah, no. Would you ever go out with a man shorter than you? Um, well, I don't know if there are men shorter than me. There's that fella from um, uh, that Ricky Gervais program. There's not many, are there? No. There's not many. No. And why... I, I do feel sorry for short men, Ruth. They don't stand much chance, do they? Um... No, I mean, tall women don't really like short men. No. I mean, you know, you can use them as a, a leaning post, I suppose. Oh, poor short men. Ruth, thank you very much. <clears throat> Appreciate your call. Streetlights. JVS will be talking about it after nine, but we're asking uh, this morning about what you think about streetlights um, being turned off and on. Streetlights left on in the daytime in parts of Hertfordshire are wasting taxpayers' money. That's the claims of a county councillor. And the leader of the Liberal Democrat, Stephen Giles Medhurst, says residents' pleas for action appear to have been ignored in some cases. Well, Conservative councillor Terry Dorees is Hertfordshire County Council's cabinet member for highways. Uh, morning, Terry. How many uh, lights have been left on during the daytime uh as at yesterday out of 144,000 uh lit units many of which are street lights there were 260 reports of lights on during the day so we don't know how many lights there are because i guess if someone reports it they are reporting maybe a whole street's worth of lights as opposed to just one no they would be reporting one light and in fact if you do get a light that's on it's almost certainly i would suggest that you, it's, it's an individual light that has actually gone faulty and uh, turned on during the day. Well, not turned on, but been on during the day. Why are, what's wrong? What's the problem? Well, I think, as with anything, where you've got um, a piece of electronic equipment or a piece of control equipment, sometimes things can go faulty. Some have been left on for months, haven't they? I think probably some of them have been left on much longer than we would have liked. And we have recognised, and we're grateful to Stephen Giles Medhurst and indeed some other um, folks who have come back and said, these lights are on. Because what we have identified is that they were reported as being on. Um, the, the crews went out to fix them during the evening. And it, it sounds silly, and I hold my hand up entirely for it, that when they went out, they saw the light on during the evening when it was dark, and they thought that the light was actually okay. And, and that was an error. We've identified that error, and we've put it right, and it won't happen again. Terry, are you telling me, and you sound like a very sensible gentleman, Thank you. that you, you sent out teams to repair lights that were being left on in the daytime, you sent them out at night time when the lights were meant to be on, so they thought there was nothing wrong with them? That is what happened in the past, because people do make mistakes, and everybody makes a mistake. 
It's a bit of a silly mistake, isn't it, yes, Terry? Yes, it is a silly mistake. And the other thing that I think we should be very clear about is that Stephen Giles Medhurst, in his um, press release and, and has made, I think, possibly comment to you, I heard part of his um, the packet at 20 past seven, was that it worries him how much it's costing the uh, residents of Hertfordshire. It is not costing the residents of Hertfordshire a penny piece more because, in fact, the streetlights aren't on, if you like, a, um, a, a meter. There's a different way of charging for the electricity that streetlights use. And so if they are on during the day, it costs nothing more. Someone must be paying for it, for the, for the use of electricity. Uh, no, they don't, actually, because it's right. something... No, well, it's... I suppose you could say it's it's somewhere along the line. It's the electricity providers that are paying. But, but Then why are lights being turned off at night time to save money, then? I'm sorry? Then why are lights being turned off at night time to save money if the, 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 the residents aren't paying for them? No, no, no. What I said was that the residents are not paying for any lights that are being... that are, happen to be on as a result of a faulty piece of kit during the day. So who does pay for that, Terry? I'm confused. Well, I think probably somewhere along the line, maybe the energy company picks it up. But having said that, it, it is balanced out because, as I say, it's all the, the charging regime is as a result of a fairly complex um, set of figures um, that work on the basis of what sort of street lights they are, what times they're on, what times they're off. And bear in mind, in- interestingly, that an awful lot of the street lights that we have are actually very low wattage. You, they, they, they look bright because of the type of light they are, but they're only actually perhaps drawing about 50 watts. Well, then again, if they're, if they're low wattage, why are they being turned off at night? Well, they're being turned off at night, and this is a completely separate issue, but they're being turned off at night because... Hertfordshire County Council, along with every other council, has to make savings in its in its um, in in its bills in, in in what it spends. And as a result of switching them off between midnight and six o'clock, then we are saving. Not only are we saving one point three million in terms of energy, but we're also saving from memory about nine hundred thousand pounds in carbon costs as well. And that's a very important aspect. Terry, we have to end it there. Uh, thank you very much. That's uh, Terry Durice, is uh, Hertfordshire County Council's cabinet member for highways. I was a little bit confused. Maybe it's me being dumb. It's coming towards the end of the week, and I kind of dumbed down a little bit on Thursdays. I was a little bit confused as to who is paying for the lights that are being left on then. It, it would appear it's such a complicated formula that no one quite, quite knows, but it's not residents. If anyone could explain that to me, 08459 455 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Delays on the A1 coming towards the Black Cat roundabout. Southbound, there are queues approaching the roundabout. The A1M is then very slow southbound from Hitchin at Junction 8 toward Wellin Garden City at Junction 6. And southbound on the M1 through Milton Keynes, it's looking a little bit busy. Newport Pagnell services down past Junction 14. Clockwise M25, heavy into the roadworks from St Albans to the A1M. Anti-clockwise is queuing from the M1 to Chorleywood and from Maple Cross to the M40. If you're going into London, severe delays for the Metropolitan Line Tube. A water leak between Finchley Road and Baker Street is causing problems. Tickets will still be accepted on local buses and Chiltern Railway services. And Virgin Trains have some disruption on trains running to and from Manchester Piccadilly after a trespass incident earlier this morning at Stockport. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. I need to speak to a woman who does not like tiny men. Is that you? 
Have you been set up on a blind date only to get there and find out they were five foot nothing? 08459 455555. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning with the headlines, I'm Serena Farrow. Taxi drivers in Luton are being told to take a special test as their driving's putting people's lives at risk. People of private hire vehicles are apparently driving atrociously, according to driving instructors. A man's been arrested in connection with a stabbing in Luton. A 59-year-old was stabbed in Mersey Place, was treated at a surgery on Liverpool Road yesterday afternoon. The watchdog for schools in England wants a special team of national service teachers in order to help poorer pupils who are falling behind their wealthier classmates. And more than £2.5 million is being spent on derelict properties across Buckinghamshire and Hertfordshire. The properties have been identified as locations for antisocial behaviour and crime. That's the news. Now let's turn to all the morning sport. Three Counties Sport. BBC Three Counties Radio. British and Irish Lions head coach Warren Gatland says England prop Marco Vanipola has been pretty unlucky after selecting Alex Corbisiero for Saturday's opening test against Australia. Corbisiero missed out on the original squad and was called up as a replacement this time around. Football then and Milton Keynes Dons are being linked with Scunthorpe winger Mark Duffy. Scunthorpe, who were relegated from League One last season, have already rejected a bid from Championship Club Doncaster. Manager Brian Loves please that will now create even more interest. Well, there's a lot of uh, rumours and speculation about which clubs, but I believe there's been interest from our inquiries from Barnsley, from Sheffield United. You've got Doncaster, Brentford, MK Dons. There's quite a few out there who are really keen on the lad, but... Uh, we obviously want to make sure that we get the best price for him for sure if, if he does leave the football club. Turning to Luton and centre-half Anthony Charles has become their seventh signing of the summer. The 32-year-old who helped Barnett and Aldershot to the conference title in 2008 and 2005 respectively has penned an initial one-year contract at Kenilworth Road. Cricket then, Alistair Cook says it would be a great achievement to win the ICC Champions Trophy after England reached South Africa yesterday. They'll play India or Sri Lanka who meet in the second semi-final later on today. There were defeats for Britons at the Eastbourne International Tennis yesterday. Laura Robson, Heather Watson and Elena Baltaccia all went out. And finally, Mercedes and tyre supplier Pirelli faced disciplinary charges after being accused of breaking Formula One rules governing testing. BBC Three Counties Radio. More from me at nine. Thank you very much, Serena. I'm just talking because I need to fill and then press this. Don't worry, unless you have anything... You can chat to me if you want. No. Oh, if you want, do you want to talk some more men? No. The, no, you've no. had enough of that. Yep. Let's, let, but you need to look at other people's qualities, don't you? No. That's the thing with small men. No, not having this chat. Sorry, just thought I'd say. We're not doing this. Just, just letting you know. Don't. You know. Uh, please, personality. no, we're not having this chat. And There's no charisma. Room. And if they carry themselves well, they have the aura. This chat is not happening. You know when people have an aura? You know? Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text will be charged at the standard network rate. BBC Three Counties Radio. There was no spontaneous banter scheduled in the running order there. It wasn't scheduled or scripted, so I just I could not indulge in that. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine o'clock. Coming up, I need your calls on your taxi stories. What bad experiences have you had, either as a passenger or as a driver, and uh, seeing them pull out in front of you or do all kinds of naughty things? And can we find uh, a woman 
who will come on the air and say, no way, short men, uh uh-uh, I ain't having it. 08459 455 555. Now, does this bring back memories? Reminds me of being drunk. It does. It's like when you come home from... In the old days, kids, we didn't have TV all through the night. We did not have 24-hour TV. For various periods, we only had three channels. Okay, so you'd come home drunk, one o'clock in the morning, put TV on. And that was all there was. Open University. Well, it's 40 years this week since the Open University held its first degree ceremony. Since then, it's helped more than one and a half million people broaden their horizons and job prospects with lectures like this. The picture of all the velocities at a given instant is, of course, the velocity diagram. Now, I'm going to go briefly through the construction of a velocity diagram for a slider-crank mechanism. The old slider-crank mechanism. It sounds saucy, it's not. Well, the OU boasts such alumni as Ian Rankin, Lenny Henry, Matthew Kelly, Joan Armatrading, and my next guest, Professor Colin Pillinger, is the uh, OU's most famous, one of the most uh, famous researchers to come from the OU. He was behind the attempt to send the Beagle 2 to Mars. Good morning, Colin. Good morning to you. Colin, you've been there since 1984, haven't you? That sort of time, yeah. Coming up to 30 years, not... Well, no, well, you never know, Colin. You might, you might still uh, make it. Oh, I do hope so. Why were you attracted to the OU? What was so so different about it? Uh, I was looking for a place to uh, where there were people who wanted to do uh, frontline research, and uh, in those days, the Open Universities Earth Sciences Department, which I joined, was uh, really front rank. It was one of the so one of the few. Uh, Departments graded five in the uh, research assessment at that time. It did have for a long time, and I guess in the eyes of some people it still does, um, people think that it's, it's not a proper university. Uh, no, that is a big mistake. <laughs> the only difference is if we don't have lecture theatres and students that sit in them and you know play with their mobiles and uh, look at Facebook when we're trying to talk to them. And, and I, I guess, have I got this right, that a lot of the work is, is done at home. It's done uh, via DVD, it's done via phone calls, it's done... Uh, multimedia. Multimedia is the phrase, that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I, I guess that works. I would always struggle to do work at home, but I guess for, for the majority of people who, who do attend the OU, it does work. The people who do it have, to, you know, my immense admiration because it takes an awful lot of discipline to work on your own. It's quite easy to work in a group when, you know, you're talking to your fellows all day and you're saying, I did this last night and I did this today and I'm doing this tomorrow. But to actually sit at home on your very own and keep at it is something which requires a great deal of willpower. In the last 30 years, Colin, what have been the, the, the more memorable moments for you? Oh, you know, I've been, of course, Beagle is the outstanding moment and I don't think uh, it would have ever ever happened if it hadn't been from the support that uh, I got from the OU's Vice-Chancellor at the time, John uh, John Daniels, and all the other people in the science faculty, and it was, uh, you know, Beagle 2 was a family affair, it was everybody, uh, everybody played their part at the OU, so it, it, you know, it has to go down in memory as something which was not just me, not just the OU, but it was all for Britain. And are you working on anything exciting at the moment, Colin? Yeah, we're still, you know, I work on meteorites still. I've been working with the European Space Agency to have some kind of 
derivative of Beagle that would go to the the lunar south pole as a means of looking for resources there that we could use to uh, supply an astronaut base at the south pole one day not not tomorrow but one day so you know life goes on would you like to go to space colin uh, I could do with it. I'm not so mobile these days. Really? I could do with floating around a little bit. F- feeling that weightlessness. Does it look, I'd like to go to space, but I bet it's blooming horrible up there, and you just feel sick all the time. No, no, apparently it's only the first few hours it oh. happens, and it's not everybody. Anyway, you can practice. You can go on the Vomit Comet. And go <laughs> You've not the, done that, have you? No, I no. haven't. I'm, I, I would be unsuitable to space because I'm too active. I couldn't be cooped up. <laughs> Colin, it's lovely to talk to you. I appreciate your time this morning. It's Professor Colin Pillinger. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, people are saying that uh, lives are being put at risk by the fact that taxi drivers in Luton don't have to sit a certain test that other taxi drivers in various other parts of the Three Counties do. What are your uh, thoughts and your stories about cabs? Jack's in France. Good morning, Jack. Hi there, Ian. Jack, what's your take on this? Well, my take is that I'm very concerned about some of the things that cabbies are saying to the people in the back of their car. And I heard the terrible story earlier uh, about the lady who uh, heard something uh, which upset her, something racist. And I had a similar... Let me just, uh, yeah, just for, for those who missed it, this was Priya, who uh, was an Indian lady and has a white husband, and the taxi driver, who I believe was also Indian, um, was basically saying, oh, you shouldn't have a mixed relationship. Oh, no, that's very bad. It doesn't work. You should split up, that kind of thing. Yeah, and once I was with my family, come out of Luton Airport, and uh, we're a Jewish family, and the taxi driver didn't know this, but was making anti-Semitic comments. Uh, mm. And I think it seems to me there's a lot of people out there who want to become cab drivers. We need to make it uh, a little bit more difficult, and I think they should introduce a real personality test. It's not a particularly bad idea, because some of them... Well, some of them are... It's the cliche, isn't it? Cab drivers are racist. Of course, they're, they're, they're all not... But I've met a couple that are, and some of them are just nut jobs, aren't they, Jack? Yeah, I think they need a bit more screening. You know, they're providing a service to someone. You wouldn't have someone come and work in your hotel uh, without having first maybe have a look at their social media, having an interview, that kind of thing. It seems the cliche about cab drivers that does seem true is that a lot of them want to talk. So if they're going to be talking, let's uh, find out if it's going to be appropriate. Um, what, what did, did you say anything to this, this cab driver that was making these anti-Semitic remarks? No, no, no. I cowered in the corner and tried to make sure that uh, nothing uh, else would happen. Why do, wh- why do we do that? I've done the same thing with, with a cab driver who's been spouting nonsense. I kind of just nod and go, uh-huh, yep, yep. We're agreeing with the most outrageous things. It, it is weird. Sometimes I think that we can stand up and face uh, adversity and say something, but uh, most of the time I don't know. And then uh, one always regrets later not having said anything. Oh, yeah, of so course. Jack, can I ask, what are you doing in France? I have been studying European law for a year. Oh. Why are you listening to this rubbish over, over there? Uh, let's just say Eloise. OK, thank you very much indeed. Well, that's Jack in France. I'm not quite sure what that's a reference to, but uh, I, believe, I believe he may have spoken some French to us. We don't know where in France. Mysterious, but he's somewhere in France. Shall we have a quick look at the front pages? Yes, let's... I did get that reference. Thank you, Jack. Uh, the Guardian. Architects furious over Olympic cauldron they claim was their design. Uh-oh. The Olympics is back. 
Atopia's design for a one-planet pavilion, which was shown to the London Olympic Committee in 2007, bears an uncanny resemblance to the Olympic cauldron that took centre stage in the 2012 Games in London. Turn to page three. It does look very similar. As the polished copper petals of... I won't read the whole thing, it seems quite long, but basically they're saying they, their idea was ripped off. We shall follow that. Uh, an Osborne-ready city for Lloyd's sell-off. Uh, the Times is a picture of Obama with his finger on his lips. An NHS scandal watchdog should face prosecution. This is the amazing story about the Care and Quality Commission who covered up the fact that they muffed up. NHS watchdogs who covered up their failure to investigate baby deaths should face criminal charges. The Independent, new bonus boom in banking sector, and while Western forces mass in Syria's backyard, Assad's grip on his capital is tightening. Um, the Daily it's always, the Daily Mail does the same story, as uh, exposed bosses in hospital deaths cover-up. Two women hid baby deaths evidence. Two health bosses at the heart of the cover-up over a hospital where up to 16 babies died through neglect can be named today. I won't name them, but they're there on the front page of the Mail. Uh, the Daily Express, millions cheated in Bill's scandal. Uh, the Sun is going with Nigella Lawson again. Uh, Nigella rings off. She's taken her wedding ring off. This is uh, Osborne is called Jeff by Obama. I feel sorry for, for uh, George Osborne. I don't. Barack Obama called George Osborne Jeffrey three times at the G8 in a crushing blow to the Chancellor's ego. The US president's gaffes came in front of world leaders who, in a breach of convention, Mr Osborne had insisted on briefing personally. An onlooker said, Osborne looked really put out. It was cringeworthy by the end. There's that thing, isn't there? People get my name wrong all the time. They call me Lee. Uh, sometimes they call me Richard because they think I'm Richard Bacon. They actually do that. Uh, there's that thing, isn't there, of uh, how many times do you allow someone to get your name wrong? If you do it, if you don't come in in the first time and say, no, actually, no, it's Ian. If you don't do it the first time, you're scuppered, aren't you? Because then that you've kind of set the precedent that they have to go with it. 15 minutes of the show, 08459 455555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A1 at the Black Cat roundabout still got queues on the southbound side. It's very slow on the A1M southbound from Junction 8 at Hitchin through to 6 at Welling Garden City. And the northbound side is still looking really slow as well after the partial blockage earlier this morning. So you'll find traffic very, very busy from Junction 5 for B195 and 6 at Welling and Welling Garden City. Looking at the speed sensors, it's really slow approaching that area in both directions on the A1M there. Dunstable looking slow. The A5, particularly around the A505 junctions, not looking too bad uh, looking a little bit slow in Bedford at the moment actually coming down toward Bedford on the A6 as you come from sort of the Clapham area things on the M1 moving generally quite well a little bit busy in toward Milton Keynes southbound Newport Pagnell down toward Junction 14 clockwise M25 still heavy into the roadworks and Albans to the A1M anti-clockwise is queuing from Kings Langley round to the M40 Metropolitan Line Tube severe delays Baker Street to Aldgate minor delays on the rest of the line it is a burst Thames water main causing disruption between Finchley Road and Baker Street tickets still taken on local buses and Chilton services Adam Glynn BBC Three Counties Radio thank you Adam 8.47, it's Thursday the 20th of June, I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Some driving instructors in Luton want taxi owners to take a test to ensure people's safety. Elsewhere in the town, a man has been arrested in connection with a stabbing in Mersey Place. 
In sport, British and Irish Lions head coach says Saracens prop Mako Vunipola has been unlucky after selecting Alex Corbisiero for Saturday's opening test. Coming up, short men, do they get dates? Is there a woman out there, a tall woman, over five foot seven, who thinks short men are hot? 08459 555. Let's get the weather with Wendy Hurrell. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Temperature at the moment at Luton Airport, 17 degrees Celsius. So there's still that humidity in the air as well. And we're getting a bit of hazy sunshine across the three counties. But we also have to warn that there are going to be some heavy, thundery downpours now and then throughout the day today. They won't be for everyone, but they will be at large. And the Met Office has us covered by a weather warning because there could be some quite intense downfalls of rain. A lot of water in one short space of time, leading some large puddles. So that's the situation today. The first bunch we're going to get will be up from northern France and then later on in the afternoon as the temperature picks up a little bit further we'll start to trigger off one or two of our own which will be a bit more isolated. Still a risk of getting one or two of those showers through the evening and temperatures will by then have got to about 20 or 21 degrees Celsius but overnight that as the temperature lowers again to 13 or 14 degrees it is going to become less of a chance of seeing one or two of those showers. So we start the day tomorrow with a fair amount of cloud around, an isolated shower, a possibility, some bright spells especially as the afternoon goes on and uh, that's not looking like such a bad day tomorrow with temperatures around 17 or 18 degrees celsius much fresher as for the weekend we start with a band of rain through saturday morning that clears through to blustery showers and some sunshine for the afternoon but a high of just 16 or 17 degrees so feeling much much cooler and i'm afraid there will be further blustery showers around on sunday as well that's how it's looking for now thanks wendy Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni. The bosses of a Milton Keynes lorry driver who died after falling asleep at the wheel have been found guilty of manslaughter with the best local news stories. At the moment, Christmas in Luton is at risk. We'll do our best. We'll work with the business community and other sponsors to fund the Christmas lights. The best local travel. Multi-vehicle crash on the M1 northbound just as you come from the M25. It's going to get busy. Three cars involved with the best local talking points. Because I was born female, that was my first sin, if you like, and I don't think I've ever been forgiven for it. Roberto Peroni, weekdays from three, on BBC Three Counties Radio. Do short men get dates? I suspect they struggle. 71% of women have told a survey that a potential date wouldn't stand a chance if he was under six foot. Obviously, this hasn't affected the millionaire or billionaire Bernie Eccleston, I believe, or the movie star Tom Cruise. Maybe they have other attractions. Well, earlier on, I spoke to Lisa Moore, owner of an introduction agency called Tempting Fate. She says that in her experience, short men can have problems getting dates because women are getting taller. Most of our females are over 5'7". Um, although, having said that, we have broken the mould and we have some very short females of five foot, etc. So we can take short men on. Short, I would say, would be under 5'7". We've had a couple of men who are 5'5", five five, and oh, we have dear. helped them. Yeah. But we have to be careful not to take too many on. We've got ten minutes left of the show. Can we find a tall woman who likes short men, who, who hungers for short men? 
08459 455 555. Well, our tall reporter, Justin Dealey, has been finding out if women would date short men. You are a tall lad, aren't you, Justin? Mm, yeah, so are you. Yeah. I, I am, and, and women do seem to like taller men. Yeah, I have to say, whenever we go for, for breakfast together, uh, the women just don't leave us alone, do they, Ian? It's a fact. Uh, unfortunately, they, they don't, but <laughs> well, we've seen the kind of women that, uh, that, that won't leave us alone, and that's, yes. um, it's not quite as glamorous as perhaps it sounds. Yes, now earlier we spoke to men, and um, a lot of them were saying, yes, I am short, but it hasn't affected my love life. I've been in St Albans this morning, I've been speaking to the ladies, and I've been asking them, do short men turn you off? And this is what happened. Emily, we're asking all the ladies this morning, do short men turn you off? Yes. Don't like them at all? No. But why? Just too short. Yeah. I know I'm only short myself, but... I like a man about six foot. About six foot. So yeah. is that your minimum height you go for? Yeah. Yeah. My husband was six foot, so that's why I like a man I mean, about six foot. What if you foot. met this guy and you thought, oh my goodness, what an amazing personality and so infectious, and he was five foot five, would you not even consider going out with him? No, between five eight and six foot, Yeah. that'll do me. Madam, let me ask you, do, uh, do short men turn you off? Totally. Nah, no way. So do you actually prefer short men to tall men? Yeah. Why is that? Because that, that, that's the opposite of what the survey says. I'm short, isn't I? I don't like tall blokes. <laughs> well, here's Joe. Joe, looking very glamorous this morning. You're 88 years old. You've been married for 50 years. Your husband is 5 foot 7. Is he not too short for you? Wouldn't you like a taller man? No. No? No, I've told you why. Just to look straight in the eye. I, I judge. If you can't look me in the eye... Like I said to that man, and he's a countryman, remember, and I've known him a long time, sleazy-looking bloke, I wanted to see what he was telling me, whether it was what I wanted to hear or what he thinks I hear. And I asked it. My friend said he'll never take his glasses off. I said, just you stand there and you watch me. And that's the first thing I said before you, before I sit down and talk to you, when you remove your glasses. So you like your husband to be pretty much on your level so you can look yeah. straight into his lovely eyes. Yeah. That's it. That's all there is to it. Nothing else. And, in, and that's what I always say to my... Anybody I talk to, if I can't look at them and they can't look at me in the eye, then I don't want to know, and I know they're shifty. And finally, a word with Sue. Sue, do short men really turn you off? Yes. Why do they turn you off so much? I don't know, just I like someone to be taller than me. So, and you'd look funny standing with a bloke that was shorter than you, I think. So what's your minimum height then? About 6'1". 6'1". Yeah. Well, that is tall, isn't it? It is. I enjoyed that a lot. I have very little idea, Justin, what mm. that um, older lady was banging on about. I couldn't quite follow the thread. Well, that was the act, I think. I think when it comes to Joan being married for 50 years, yep. her husband five foot seven. what she is saying is she likes to look people straight in the eye. Right. She likes somebody on her level. And what she was saying was she met a counsellor once, and this counsellor was wearing glasses. He was oh. slightly taller, and he wouldn't look her in the eye. Right. That's when she knew that he was shifty and yep. sleazy. We haven't got the name of that counsellor, unfortunately, but uh, be great one day to track him down and, and put that to him maybe. yes let's let's do that mm. ever been out how tall are you just i'm about six foot three six four you're, well you're not <laughs> must be. well Come you're on. not because i'm taller than you and i'm six foot three so oh, well, i must be six foot two then you must I, be... I don't really go around measuring myself to be honest with you it's not what i heard right. but 
Uh, have you ever been out with a girl who's taller than you? No, yeah. um, I haven't actually. Um, and that would um, make me feel slightly uneasy. I did. I did once. It was like copping off with a bear. It was. It was so. It, honestly, but broad shoulders. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, the fact that I had to look up. Made me very uncomfortable. Is this your ladyboy experience? Oh, steady on now, Justin Dilly, for goodness sakes. Right, uh, let's go to... Uh, um, oh, Andy, you've, got, you've not called in about uh, short men at all. But can I, no. before I let you come on, can I ask how tall are you? Five foot nine. Five, five foot nine, perfectly, perfectly adequate height. Uh, you've called in about lights, haven't you, Andy? What, what, what do you want to say? Yeah, I was, I was a highways officer many years ago. Um, and we used, to do, we used to do things the other way around. We used to pay over t- overtime to the guys to go out and check the streetlights to make sure they worked. <clears throat> Simply because um, if someone wouldn't stick their key in their keyhole um, and see it, they, they'd complain to us. It, it wasn't, the, the culture's changed, so now it's environmental, then it was you know, the right to have lights outside your house or whatever. Well, I, I think that they do use the environmental argument as, as one of the reasons as to why they're turning lights off. I think it's more uh, about saving money, isn't it? It's, a, it's, it's, it's about saving a few quid. Yeah, I mean, going, sort of the, the, the paying side, that comes from central government. The electric companies charge central government, and it's done on poor lampposts because it would be impossible to meet them. Well, as a, as a former highways officer, uh, um, uh, Andy, do you think that a streetlight should be left on at night? Um, no, the, the sort of like the lights off culture changed in the in the early eighties. Yeah, um, like in Hemel Hempstead at night. I, the, the first I, I moved to Hemel Hempstead and was shocked when I was walking back from the pub at the sort of midnight to discover all the lights went out apart from in the side turnings. Um, <laughs> Andy, thanks very much for getting in touch. 08459 455 555. Well, that's what JVS is asking after nine o'clock. Does anyone still think streetlights should be left on at night? Surely, to me, I've had an email which I need to investigate, but it it seems obvious to me, you have every third light on. That way you're saving two-thirds of the the energy. That's all you need to do, isn't it? So you you can still see. Why are there so many lights on motorways? Just like loads and loads, and they're all really tightly bunched up. You don't need that many. It is a terrifying experience, isn't it, driving along the motorway in complete pitch-black darkness. I'm not so keen on that. It doesn't float my boat. But you can give uh, JVS a call now if you want, 08459 455 555. Does anyone still think streetlights should be left on at night? You can also send him uh, an email as well, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. We've got a couple of minutes. It's time to squeeze in Martin and St Albans on the subject of cabbies. Good morning, Martin. Good morning. I haven't got long, but you haven't got long. None of us have have long, Martin. We're all doomed. (laughs) Uh, But but, but, what do you you reckon about this, cab, cab drivers? Well, I mean... Years ago, uh, I mean, St Albans used to be quite strict on uh, cabs on a London basis. I mean, if, if it, any of these councillors went up to Penton Street, you know, and uh, looked uh, the situation up there, I've, I've come out my my drive in, uh, in the mornings and there's uh, uh, inspectors hunt, looking under the cab. What for? Any oil leak, anything, anything... To do with uh, the taxi itself. So they were constantly checking it, and you think that the standards have uh, have dropped significantly since then? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what; these councillors don't even know what what it is. I, I'd love I'd love to have a day with you huh? and the presenters up in going through Penton Street, uh, the rig and roll they have to go through. Are you are you paying for are you paying for lunch? 
if you want to. Yeah, look, Martin, if, if there's a lunch involved, well, I'm sure we can sort that out. Nice one, lunch as well. Something classy, like a Nando's. Martin, we have to end it there. Thank you very much indeed. Right, that's it. That's your lot from me. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still some queues on the A1 at the Black Cat roundabout, southbound slow, particularly the A1M is looking really slow this morning. Southbound, it's taking around 40 minutes to get through the traffic from Letchworth at Junction 9 to Welling Garden City at Junction 6. And the northbound side is really busy as well after the accident and partial blockage at Junction 6 early this morning. That got cleared quite quickly, but the queues are still there from Junction 5 toward Junction 6. Southbound M1 delays from Northampton at Junction 15 to Bedford at Junction 13. It's about 35 minutes of traffic there. Clockwise M25 heavy from St Albans toward the roadworks at the A1M. Anti-clockwise queuing from Kings Langley at Junction 20 round to the M40 at Junction 16. Metropolitan Line Tube runs with severe delays. Baker Street to Aldgate. Minor delays on the rest of the line. It's a burst Thames water main causing problems between Finchley Road and Baker Street. Tickets will be taken on buses and on Chiltern Railway services for the time being. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Right, back tomorrow at six o'clock. We've got Nanny Eileen. We've got some live music in the studio and more of your phone calls. JVS is up next. Until tomorrow, from me, ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Thursday, and on today's big phone-in, I'm asking, does anyone still think streetlights should be left on at night?